And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. This episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios located in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for believing in us, for your belief and trust in us as we walk through this minefield of current events together. And I'm sure we are, we are sure, Joe and I and Eric and Eric the Tech, uh, we're all, we, we were talking right before the show. Everyone's got to be just like, Yanking their hair out from this election. When is it going to end? It's never going to end. Oh, it's going to end, and it's going to end sooner than later, thankfully. Ah, folks, we broadcast live. That's each and every weeknight from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. Thank you so much, Global Star, for carrying our program. You know, they don't have to do that, right? They can say, hey, we don't, we don't like you. You're really a pain in the butt. We're not going to, but no, thank you so much, Global Star Radio Network. And we're also simulcast on Blog Talk Radio Network. That's BTR. Proud to be part of that organization as well. And you can watch us live and in living color. Don't adjust your sets on our official YouTube channel, YouTube Live. That's right. And you can watch us via archive there as well. Archive via BTR and, uh, of course on Global Star. Don't forget, we've got two different websites. One for the show. That's HagmanandHagman.com. There you can watch us live and you can, that's just dedicated to the show. HagmanandHagman.com. But HagmanReport.com, that's where you got to go. That's right, for all of your for information. News, news. Content. And, that's um, right. It's a site, you don't just have to check it in the morning, check it multiple times as it changes throughout the day. That's right. Um, Yes. We yes. update it. You update it when you get up at at two thirty in the morning. <laughs> I, I just I, I'm trying to beat Steve Quayle. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to beat him. I've been up there. I've been throwing a few stories up there before I go to bed, like late at night, just to try to beat you to the punch. Sometimes. Well, I want to thank Rhonda too, uh, and thank JD. JD's a just a workhorse man, uh, creative evangelist. JD, he's the man in in our uh, deep south. He's he's carrying up the he's a he's he's got our southern uh, he's got our sex. Right? Anyway, uh, folks, portions of tonight's program brought to you by a company. I just love this company. I really do. Wink. Have you heard of Wink? Try Wink. That's try, T-R-Y, W-I-N-C. That's trywink.com slash Hagman. Oh, man. Well, what a great company. That's trywink, T-R-Y, W-I-N-C, dot com slash Hagman. What this is is a wine club. Now, you know, we love to have Sunday dinners together with the family, get all the family over. And all of the adults, of course, we share a bottle of wine. It's really great. And wink, try wink.com slash Hagman. This is a wine club and it's a very special wine club. It's, it's, 
it's really it's unique. There's really no commitment. You can join for free. You can skip any month, but it's it's a one of the month club, and it's it's designated to your palate. So anyway, to your taste, your palate recommendations. More on that later. But Joe, uh, so I was wrong last night, yesterday. I was wrong. I thought the the Hannity special when he when uh, and I don't know how much you caught of this, but when uh, Hannity had I don't have cable, so I didn't see well what he had he didn't on TV. Have to have cable. Um, uh, the, the, when, see, my thought was, um, Sean, uh, Sean Hannity was gonna have, um, um, the fixer, Mr., Mr. Fixit, who was also called, uh, referenced as, uh, in the Enquirer, the Hitman. Um, a, a Hitman. I thought it was gonna be, uh, the PI, Paladino. Uh, that's what I thought, but I was I was incorrect, actually, totally incorrect. Did you? So you didn't see any of that, right? No, I didn't. I read about it today, though. On, okay. Uh, from some different news sto- stories about what was said. Yeah, and it was very interesting. Uh, but from well, what I gathered, there was not a lot of new no information. No, but but you know, I, I was watching. I, I watched it, and, and um. I, I, folks, what do you think? What those of you who saw, what do you think? I, some people will say, "What well, man? I was underwhelmed by this information." But the, so the identity of Mister Fixit was not, of course, the PI, but turns out to be an author, writer for uh, uh, Tom Clancy, as well as I mean, when I say author, I'm talking about. Uh, uh, a reporter, one of the media. I, is, so I was incorrect there. But having said all of that, uh, when people say they were underwhelmed by it, you can, I, I don't want to, you could tell that it was a real, I mean, this guy had the inside baseball. And it all started with, with um, I shouldn't say it all started, but it really focused around Hillary, or Bill and Hillary's, or uh, the um, Chelsea's wedding. Well, that had a big thing to do with it. Uh, the face of the Clinton insider was finally speaking out to tell everyone the truth about, of course, Bill and Hillary. And who did it turn out to be? Well, more uh, more about this at the at the bottom of the hour after the after the break only because i've got some information on this and it's going to be important to to go through in detail but leading off the program tonight a couple of things aids freaked over obama server comments planned to get away with that that that's that's trending on drudge report right now and of course that's a reference to um to what obama said about hillary Rodham Clinton's servers. Yeah, um, for those of you who remember, <clears throat> Obama was asked a while back when the email scandal first broke, when he learned about Hillary learned using private servers, and he responded by saying he learned about it on the news on TV, like everybody else. Well, there have already been emails uh, that have shown that the president had emailed Clinton directly to an email address that was not 
a .gov address. But now it's come out that not only did he do that, he lied about it on TV and did so knowingly. It wasn't, you know, uh, uh, he didn't mis- make a misstatement. He just outright lied. And as you see on Drudge right now, AIDS freaking out over Obama's server comments. And right underneath it's another story. Planned to get away with it. Clinton advisor says they wanted uh, to get away with it. They wanted to cover it up. And those aren't the words on the uh, story here. Clinton advisor, they wanted to get away with it on private email setup is the uh, the quote that is used. And it, it talks it's about coming, how... It, Joe, it's coming out more and more that this was a conspiracy, a criminal conspiracy by... I mean, a criminal conspiracy by definition. And that included Obama and Hillary Clinton. Am, am I right with with what you what you're yeah? And what it you're goes, th- this article from Politico talks about how the story broke about Hillary Clinton's use of a private email account over a year ago. The head of a pro Clinton think tank complained um, that the secretary Clinton's inner circle only exacerbated the controversy, which will go on to dog her entire presidential campaign. That's according to a hacked email by WikiLeaks. In the exchange, Center for American Progress President uh, Neera Tandon complained that incoming Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta... A lot of stuff on her. Go ahead. ...that the Clinton lawyer and former uh, State Department Chief of Staff Cheryl Mills had allowed the email situation to fester to the point where it became a liability to Clinton's presidential bid. Then they go into the email... um, into the emails and the the uh, exchanges, and all right, s- stop right there because right before the show you said what about the the emails? Well, uh, are you talking about the uh, deleted emails? The deleted emails. Okay, um, there uh, a WikiLeaks news release says that uh, Kim dot com hints that deleted emails will be released tomorrow. October 26th, on Hillary's birthday. Now, that's just uh, something from uh, WikiLeaks News. There's no uh, story. It's something that's out on WikiLeaks and on Twitter. But it was uh, posted at 6.52 p.m. And uh, apparently, they're going to, if what they're saying is true, they're going to be releasing part, some, or all, of the deleted emails. Okay. Now this is a good setup for what I'm about to what I'm about to say. And, and Joe and I spoke before the program, and and uh, there are certain things that are trending. Now Joe just disclosed that what's up on uh, Kim.com and, and WikiLeaks, they're going to they're they're going to dump Hillary's deleted emails tomorrow on her birthday. Okay. Now, hopefully uh, this is not somebody blowing smoke. Hopefully that this this is uh, what's really going to happen. There's been a lot of letdowns, uh, so to say, so to speak, from people saying that you know there's going to be uh, videos of right. Hillary Clinton doing things or saying things that are that's going to ruin her campaign. But, uh, but you're, now you're talking about O'Keefe. There or intimating right. about O'Keefe, and he has he, released he videos that are very damaging to the campaign. And if it was anybody besides Clinton, they would probably be. Um, under indictment at the That's moment. That's right. 
So, okay. I mean, what we're seeing here is just, you know, the media continuing to be complicit in covering up Clinton's crimes. I mean, just the video that O'Keefe released about the violence, creating violence at Trump rallies, and you had the, the two people who uh, were behind that were let go or stepped down. Um, yeah, nothing where to see here. Where is the FBI? Where is the Department of Justice? You, not only that, even worse than that, you have collusion between the Clinton campaign and super PACs. That is verifiably uh, proven to be 100% fact. But, but, but see, Joe, and that's the, illegal. The, the, the collusion with the super PACs was the issue. Uh, I was watching what was trending today in the news, and, and, and they were saying that collusion was absent. <laughs> Okay. The proof is right, is there. Exactly. And how crazy is this? Uh, and, and to, oh, to further talk man. just about the media collusion, I saw an interesting video today. And I did not try this myself, but somebody made a video where they opened a Google browser. Oh, and they, I saw that. They typed in, you know, how do you vote for, and you know how Google uses, uh, not, auto not, fill is it auto correct auto no, fill in. Auto fill in, right? It, 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 so it's intuitive. How to vote for, and it'll finish the sentence on you know the bar below it, Dancing with the Stars, or you know. <laughs> so one of the first ones is how to vote for uh, Hillary Clinton, and that came up without putting the H in there. So it just came up how to, how right. to vote for, and then the first one underneath that, the first option was Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Then the guy yep. goes in yep. and he types out the whole word Donald. And the whole word Trump, and nothing comes up. And obviously you'd have to hit enter, then it, then the results would come up. And then, interestingly enough, he goes a step further and shows articles about how uh, the head of Google, Eric Schmidt, has been working with the Clinton campaign, and how Mark Zuckerberg, uh, the head of Facebook, has been also helping with the Clinton campaign. And it's not just money donations that, that are being uh, given as offered as support, it is these kind of, of tricks and shenanigans, even to the point of hiding uh, analytics and, and search results. One thing that's um, like the rallies we see, you know, there was 30 people that showed up to a Tim Kaine rally today. You know, I, I, to, 30. Be fair, to be fair, I think it was more than that. you got to look. Maybe there was... And, and okay, I, cut the press and cut the friends out. Okay, then 30. <laughs> and then on the other right. side, you had 2,700 people turned away. As people waited in the line for 12 hours. Well, my, my, my wife and I were talking about this, Joe. The Donald Trump rally. You but, know, it, it, and Joe, the Google Analytics, the searches. You have people searching for, uh, you know, um, voting Donald Trump three to one over yeah, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And, and I don't know whether you took a ride. I, I know that you, I don't want to get, give away too much, but from, from our studio, oftentimes you'll run to the, like the Seven Eleven kind of store, mm-hmm. all right. And the, we, we've got a couple within driving distance. And I had to, today, I, and I had to run an errand from the studio to the store, um, actually to to a home uh, store, Home Depot kind of place. And uh, I passed. Uh, I counted four Trump signs that were the size that I've got at my home. Oh yeah, they're all over the place now. Okay, I've never, and, and I have never once seen, and I'm talking uh, like a six foot by 12 foot sign. I think a, a, when I come to the studio from my house, there's one road I take to avoid lights, 
because I could go down a few blocks and that's a main road with tons of lights or up a few blocks right. and the same deal. So I'd kind of go down some side roads. There was about four new ones that popped up this week. I, and I'm one s- of the ones was a notary business that used to be on top of this fence. Now, it looked like, oh, if I, I had to talking. guess. I know where you're talking. Yep. It, it looked, I think somebody destroyed it because what they did is took it off the fence, built a wooden frame for it, and it's now basically encased in this big thing of wood with, uh, you know, these huge support, uh, exactly. Sorry, these huge support columns. I know exactly. <clears throat> so I don't know what happened there. I doubt it blew away or blew over. <clears throat> no, uh, I, I think you're right. I think, I think somebody did uh, tear after it, but, but those signs are everywhere. But, They're but, the but, big ones. But, but the, to me, what's taking place here, and I was talking to my wife about this, folks, uh, 126, what they're saying is 126 electoral votes in the in the tank for Trump. 270 is needed. The press is really painting this dire picture for a certain Hillary Clinton win. I am seeing, and I'm getting email threads, and I want to say something. If Greg Jackson, if you're listening, God bless you, my friend. God bless you, Greg Jackson. If he you're always listening. listens. And, and if, if you're listening while walking, Gunner, you know, give him a, give him a, a scratch on the head for me. Um, the divisiveness that's being caused, but, but I guess I didn't, I, I, I kind of, you were talking about the, Trump, the big Trump signs, the, the Trump signs, the people I've been speaking with, the, uh, the people that I've been hearing via email from all of this, it's all Trump. I mean, it's a hundred, it's amazing to me. So, when you click on the mainstream media, whether it's Fox News, even Fox News or MSNBC or CNN, they're all saying, well, Trump is down. The, the polls are, you know, are very much in favor of Hillary. And NBC actually had to walk back after the, uh, some of the information about how media should use and, and, uh, skew polling numbers came out via WikiLeaks. NBC had to walk back their headline that Hillary Clinton had a 12-point lead over Donald Trump and put it down to one. After that, they were uh, showed how they oversamplified or oversampled Democrats and independents compared to Republicans. And, and I found in the email in email um, uh, pack 13, I believe it is. I don't have. I, I left the notes in my office. I didn't think I was going to be talking about this. Either 13, 14, or 15. The email release from Podesta. In, We're in, yeah. Inside, and I don't know if this was reported on or not, there was, there was a, a PowerPoint presentation on the polls, on Hillary and the polls. It was from a professional, uh, polling or professional pollster or PR company. I don't know what you call those people, folks, but all I can tell you is it, it, the email itself and the information itself by itself, looking at it, it, it was rather innocuous. But in the context of skewing poll numbers, it read to me, you know how you can, you can't really get the context sometimes, uh, from an email, what the intent might be. Uh, I think right. it just looked, looked to me like the intent here was to manage the poll numbers in favor of Hillary to make it so, or, or to de- demoralize and, and to keep Trump supporters at home or the conservatives at home. And there's something with Ryan here, too. I, I don't believe Ryan and Pence were trying to uh, engage in some sort of coup. I saw okay. this. Yeah. There was a website set up. 
Yeah. Ryan Pence 2016. I think, I think that was, I, I don't, I, look, just from my research, and I, I don't know, I could be very wrong on this, as I was wrong last night with the PI. It turned out to be Jeff Rovin, uh, Mr. Fix-It, but I could be wrong about this. I think that's just BS. I think that, that was, that's internal divisiveness. Um, I don't think Pence, Ryan, Ryan Pence, uh, 2016. In other words, what we're saying, folks, is there was, um, a release of an email, but I, I didn't find it in the pedest, or in the, um, I didn't find it anywhere within the official WikiLeaks release, is releases. There was this, uh, Ryan Pence, uh, website that was supposedly mm-hmm. set up and some email communication with, with Mike Pence to, it was to supposedly ditch, set, ditch Trump and, uh, set up right around the time of that, that audio of Trump was released. Yeah. And they asked him to step I, down. I'm not so sure about the authenticity slash legitimacy of that email or of that, that whole, uh, story. Um, but having said all of that, the polls are, the polling numbers are being massaged and managed by the Clinton campaign, by the DNC, by Donna Brazile, by these people, you know, behind, um, behind this, this push for globalism. And it's, as you've seen, ladies and gentlemen, and I know, I'll, I'll bet you if I ask, if, if each, if you and I, Joe, sat down with all the people that are listeners, I would say 90% of the listeners have had, have seen and experienced divisiveness within their families, within their jobs, within their, um, mm-hmm. social circles. Yeah. About this election. And even Christians, and especially Christians. I cannot believe what I'm seeing from Christians. Uh, man, I just, I can't, you know, um. Well, there was articles that, that talked about how, uh, stress levels, over this election have been, uh, been raised in all different age groups and brackets from, uh, older people to uh, the younger generations. And, uh, you've had more sleepless nights. You've had more headaches, anxiety, things of that nature they were talking about. And I, that really would come with any election, but this is, is just, uh, I don't like we're living the years when you were a teenager <laughs> in the absolutely. household. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we are coming up against the break. I know you wanted to hit on uh, I, I still a do. few things, but uh, before we, Abedin, before we, we go talk. to the break, I want to hit this story. And it's interesting because every time I'm I'm going to this website, I get to read the story. Then it says suspicious website, but it's a it's blacklistednews.com, which is very uh, it's suspicious, all right. But I think it's the content that is uh, important that does not want. People, they don't want people to get this out there. And I posted a story about this on the website earlier today. I don't know how many people have been following what's been happening in Mosul. Mm. Over 60 civilians have been killed, at least 200 injured, during three days of U.S.-led airstrikes on residential areas in Mosul. Numerous attacks of the U.S.-led coalition targeting residential areas. This is horrific. It's a girl's school. A girl's school was bombed by the United States in Mosul today. And there it goes again. Suspicious web page. Well, you know something? We're on the wrong side of this. And this does, not to belabor the point, but it does, it, it, it relates directly to uh, Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin. That's the State Department, but even deeper than that. Are, are you okay with that? Can you continue with Mosul? I mean, or are you still well, yeah, out of I trouble mean, there? I just, uh, oh, I went. To our site, HagmanReport.com, and I'm going to get a link. Uh, All right, from our site. But 
it's interesting that we see, you know, there is a lot going on with two weeks until the presidential election. You have um, a lot of news going on, a lot of stuff in the uh, election cycle, a lot of stuff with the WikiLeaks, a lot of stuff with Russia. You have Obama uh, care news. But what's well, not being talked about is what is happening in Iraq. That's right. And they are saying that Mosul is a... a ISIS territory, or it's, is, a strong, it's, a it's actually a stronghold of ISIS. Now, I've heard a couple different um, theories about this. One, I, I'm I'm reading um, on comment sections and message boards. Some of it was Russian. I had to get it. Some of the comments translated, but uh, Russia citizens or people who were commenting on this article or articles were saying that the U.S. is actually destroying evidence that they were helped helping aid ISIS in Iraq, that this was not a fight against ISIS, that they were bombing different location, locations that basically left trails of evidence showing that they, um, you know, were cooperating with ISIS and trying to uh, get them support, but that's speculation. The article uh, on Russia Today talks about the battle for Mosul continues and the civilians are the ones being killed. Over 60 civilians have been killed and 200 injured during the three days of U.S.-led coalition airstrikes. There were numerous attacks of the U.S.-led coalition targeting residential areas, schools, and other civilian objects, both in Mosul and in other parts of the Iraqi uh, governatore. That according to the head of operations in the Russia general staff. We're closely monitoring the situation around Mosul. So far, we see no substantial progress in liberating this city from the terrorist of ISIS, he added, referring to the terror organization Islamic State by its former name. According to the Russian military, among the civilian objects hit by U.S.-led coalition airstrikes was a school for girls in southern Mosul, which was attacked last Friday. And there is a lot of new information um, as the story continues to be updated as the body count continues to rise. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on this Tuesday edition. We're going to be right back with our second segment in this first hour, followed by an hour two, uh, Greg Manorino. He's an economist. He's going to be joining us. And then hour three, we're going to be joined, as we are each and every Tuesday, by Stan Dale. So and we want to thank uh, John Robertson as well, setting this up uh, for with Greg. God bless you, my friend, John Robertson. Uh, linked yeah. off of HagmanReport.com for his website. Investigative researcher Joe Hagman, my son, together. Something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Uh, you can catch us on our social networking sites as well at Hagman Report on Twitter, Hagman Report on Facebook, and then Doug Hagman, uh, Douglas Hagman, that is mine on Facebook. And let, there you'll find Lady, the studio dog. She's got a lot to say as well. 
And, and speaking of a lot to say, you know, the the cooler months are coming. You may be sitting around a fire. You want to get away from, maybe you want to get away from current events, the election hassle, the news that hits you so hard, and, and get into fiction. But maybe you just don't want to get too far away from the topics that is. I've got a great solution for you. T.C. Joseph's This Generation series of novels. I call this a faction as well. It's entertaining, it's informative, and it's inspiring. This man is a masterful writer. What what it is, it's a thrilling series of novels, and in this thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families in a world where conspiracy theories and Bible prophecies collide. His novels move through recent history, right to the current events that are just on the horizon. He's got a really witty style of writing and fascinating characters, all to provide a great read for you. Not only will your, will everybody who reads his books love these books, but they can be a great tool as well to awaken friends and family members to the perilous times we face. Rave reviews, Kirkus reviews. They state that readers of end times fiction will be hard pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast paced. Blue Ink Reviews calls this thought provoking series absolutely riveting. Folks, get your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series on Amazon.com today. Amazon.com today. You, you gotta really get this. I love these books and I'm not a fan of, of fiction as it relates to current events, but these are done so well, quite engaging. Book one is Precipice. Book two, Pentecost. And a soon-to-be-released book three, Penance. That's T.C. Joseph's This Generation series of novels. Now, Joe, you know, before the break, you were talking about Mosul. You were talking about all of these things taking place. We were talking about the election. We were talking about a number of things. Um, Lori from uh, Florida wrote in and wanted to, uh, she, she wrote into us here on the studio email, uh, basically make sure that, uh, people catch Trey Smith, who we had on here last week, his latest video about Hillary Clinton. Now, I have not seen it yet, have you? No. You must have just done this. No, I haven't seen it. Thank um, you, Lori, by the way, from Florida. Yep, I'll definitely be watching it, um, uh, Later tonight or tomorrow, because he does do a great job of yeah he, breaking down. He, he does. Um, all right. So, so what 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 you had set up earlier about the about ISIS Iraq, um, where we are today? I just wanted to mention a couple of things. I do have a report coming out, folks. Huma Abedin, she is of course the current um, vice chairwoman of Hillary Clinton of the Clinton campaign, 2016 uh, Clinton campaign, Huma Abedin. Now, folks, you know who I'm talking about, correct? Huma Abedin, the longtime assistant to Hillary Clinton, the wife of former Congressman Anthony Weiner, the longtime, well, you, you've, you've seen her. Anywhere you see Hillary, you see Huma Abedin. Do you really know who she is? If we have a Hillary presidency, Huma well, should be sure. the first lady. That first lady, did you? <laughs> you know, you're thinking, <laughs> you're right. 
It's a good one. Uh, it, it, I, I would suspect maybe chief of staff or, or special, some special assistant, but she's going to have a lot of power and influence in the West Wing if Hillary Clinton does prevail on this. But uh, everyone really needs to understand, I believe, the threat, my perception of the threat to Huma Abedin based on research, inten- extensive and intensive research that I've conducted. And, and this also involves some of the Podesta emails, and we are watching for folks, just to remind you from last half hour, last segment, we are looking for additional e- emails to be released tomorrow, perhaps the deleted Hillary Rodham Clinton emails, and it's not the Russians, by the way, um, that were behind this. I believe if there is a state actor behind this, truthfully, I believe it would be some some element within the CIA or NSA that's doing this. And I and the reason I mentioned this, and you might ask, well, wait a minute, I thought you, you know, CIA bad. No, I I think that there are, there are criminal elements, criminal cabals within the CIA and such. But there are also very patriotic men and women working for the CIA and NSA that don't agree with what's going on and are fighting back, and this is one way through disclosure. So I believe that to be the case. But getting back to Huma Abedin, go back to our bicentennial year, back 1976, July 28, 1976. Huma Abedin was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan, to Saeed Abedin, who was an Indian-born scholar, and... Salea Abedin, her mother. Now, her father passed away in 1993. So her mother is, well, her mother is still alive. Her mother is Salea Mahmoud Abedin. And she, she's a sociolo- yeah, sociologist known for her very strong advocacy of Sharia law. And Huma, or, yeah, Huma's mother, Salea, and Hillary Clinton have had meetings upon meetings and have met with each other, with one another, throughout Hillary's and Huma's relationship, personal and professional relationship, even during Hillary's tenure in the State Department. Salea, Huma's mother, is a member of the Muslim Sisterhood, which is the female component of the Muslim Brotherhood, or the Muslim Brotherhood's Division for Women. She's also a board member of the International Islamic Council for Dawah and Relief. Now, this is a pro-Hamas entity, which is part of the Union of Good, which is which the U.S. government has formally designated as a terrorist organization, one that's led by the Muslim Brotherhood luminary, Yusuf al-Qadouri. Okay, now, think about this. Well, let me give you some more background on Huma. And again, I'm, I'm compiling a report on this. When Huma was just two years old, living in Michigan, her family picked up and moved to Saudi Arabia, to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Now, this took place, this move took place when Abdullah Omar Nassif, a very high-ranking Muslim Brotherhood figure who served as the vice president of Abdul Aziz University, recruited Huma's father, also a uh, member of AU, the uh, Abdul Aziz University, to work for the Institute of Muslim Minority Affairs, which was a Saudi-based, or is a Saudi-based think tank that Huma's, or that, uh, I'm sorry, that uh, uh, Abdullah Omar Nassif, 
was preparing to launch. Now, sometime later, Nassif would develop extremely close ties to guess who? Osama bin Laden and the terrorist group Al-Qaeda. So you've got just an arm's length of how close is this? Huma Abedin, her father, and Omar Nassif, who's part of the Muslim Brotherhood. And Nassif is actually a supporter of bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. In the early 1980s, I should point out, Nassif spent time as Secretary General of the Muslim World League, and much has been written about the Muslim World League by journalist and former federal prosecutor Andrew McCarthy. Now, I look at Andrew McCarthy as being one of the foremost experts on Islamic terrorism, of course, as a federal prosecutor, now a journalist. And McCarthy had stated that um, the Muslim World League has long been the Muslim Brotherhood's principal vehicle for the international propagation of Islamic supremacist ideology. Now, just to tell you something about Huma's mother. Huma's mother advocates is, is a great advocate of Sharia law. Huma Abedin's mother is okay with female genital mutilation. Huma Abedin's mother also believes that the female must be subjugated by the male in any marriage. Now, folks, Huma Abedin's mother has this ideology and and Huma herself has a very close relationship with her mother as does Hillary Clinton who has met with Huma's mother on numerous occasions. Do we need to really say much more than this? Seriously? This is what you will, by voting or not voting in this election, or by voting for a third a non-viable third-party candidate, or or not, or, or if you're a Christian out there, you're voting for your own demise, I believe. If you don't support a, a Trump in this case, that that's my belief. The incestuous, uh, what Huma Abedin represents with respect to the Muslim sisterhood through her family connections and the ties to Al-Qaeda and then Hillary Clinton's ties to, to, to Huma and her mother and her their ties to Al-Qaeda, Nassif, all of this in Saudi Arabia is incredible. Hillary Clinton, or I should say the Clinton Foundation, received... million from Saudi Arabia. The Clinton Foundation received, by their own reporting, $25 million from Saudi Arabia. And I believe it, and I I have to verify this through one other source, but I believe 20% of the Clinton presidential campaign has been financed by Saudi Arabia. Did you, folks, did you hear that? Anyway, when yeah, and the uh, the donations made to the Clinton Foundation uh, by Saudi Arabia by Qatar, totaling I think the last count during the last round of donations, thirteen million dollars, and I think those are that's the widely underreported. 
Uh, it becomes a question. Is has there? And then the money's been funneled to the campaign through the shell corporations, which is a gross violation of of election laws. So right, correct, and yes. in return for that. You know, we we hear about the pay-to-play uh, schemes that Hillary Clinton had going in the State Department. Right after an eight million dollar donation to the Clinton Foundation, she turns around and gets Saudi Arabia a half a billion dollar weapons deal from the United States. And, and you know, uh, Clinton Cash, the book Clinton Cash, details a lot of this information. It, it's it's a, an encyclopedia-like resource about the Clinton Foundation. And yes, I mean this this to me the Clinton Foundation um is a money it's a criminal enterprise. I totally agree with Donald Trump on this. It's a criminal enterprise. It's a money laundering enterprise. It is difficult for me to believe that the press has turned a blind eye to this because along with whom Abedin and, and their ties to the Muslim Brotherhood of course, Saudi Arabia, terrorist groups this is a betrayal of allegiance, a betrayal uh, of the United States, and certainly no friend to Christians in the United States or worldwide. Now, with Huma, when she when she was 18, her family moved back to the United States. She attended George Washington University. In 1996, she began working as an intern in the Bill Clinton White House. I wonder how that worked out. I wonder if she met Monica there. Anyway, she she was assigned to uh, actually the first lady Hillary Rodham Clinton during her internship. So she was eventually hired as an aide to Hillary, and worked for her ever since. Even when even through her uh, senatorial term in New York in two thousand and two thousand and six, during her failed presidential bid in two thousand and eight. So Huma has been by. Hillary by her side ever since 1996 and from 97 until sometime in early 1999 while still interning at the White House she became an executive or was an executive board member of George Washington University's Muslim Student Students Association MSA heading up their organization's social committee so I should say as well that in 2001-2002, right after Huma Abedin left that executive board at George Washington University's Muslim Students Association, the chaplain and spiritual guide of that of, G, of GW's MSA was none other than Anwar al-Awlaki, the Al-Qaeda operative who ministered to some of the men who were among the 9-11 hijackers. You know Anwar al-Awlaki, folks. Another chaplain at George Washington University's MSA from sometime around October of 99 through April 2002 was Mohammed Omish. He headed the International Islamic Relief Organization, which has ties to the funding of al-Qaeda or had ties to al-Qaeda. His brother, Islam, headed the Muslim American Society, which is the Muslim Brotherhood's quasi-official branch in the United States, and both of these guys were closely associated with uh, uh, with Alamudi, who would later be convicted and incarcerated on terrorism charges. Now, from '96 to 08, 2008, Abedin was employed by the Institute of Minority Affairs 
as the assistant editor of its publication, the Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs, which is JMMA. At least five. Well, I'm sorry, at least the first seven of those years between 96 and 08, they they overlapped with the Al-Qaeda-affiliated Abdullah Omar Nassif's active presence, presence at the Institute of Muslim Minority Affairs. Now, Huma's last six years at the Institute, that's through 2008, were spent as the Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs editorial board, as an editorial board member there. For one of those years, and specifically in 2003, Nasif and Huma Abidin served together on that board. So there is absolute direct connections between Huma Abidin and Omar Nasif, Abdullah Omar Nasif, at least in 2003, but for much longer. Now, during that time and throughout that entire period, Huma Abedin remained a close aide to Hillary Clinton during her 08 presidential uh, primary uh, or her primary campaign. A profile of Abedin described her as a trusted advisor to, to Hillary Clinton, especially on issues pertaining to the Middle East. Folks, there's something t- horrifically wrong, and I think that this is very specific information that people need to understand. When when Clinton was appointed as Obama's Secretary of State back in 09, Huma Abedin became her Deputy Chief of Staff. She was still on the Journal of Muslim Minority Affairs masthead until the day after her appointment as Clinton's Chief of Staff, Deputy Chief of Staff. So, Hillary Clinton, or at least Huma Abedin, or at least her mother, attempted to uh, uh, attempted to uh, to hide that relationship. Now, apart from their working relationship, Huma Abedin and Mrs. Uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton have developed a very close personal bond, as we have seen in Clinton's 2010 uh, speech, I guess, saying that. Uh, I have one daughter, but if I had a second daughter, it would be Huma. Kind of like, kind of like, uh, Obama. You know, if I had a son, he'd look like whoever. Like, I don't specifically recall who he was talking to. Trayvon Martin. There you go. Thank you. Now, Huma married Anthony Weiner on July 10th of 2010. That's, what a marriage that was. Yeah, and you know who officiated, and I didn't know this, but that was officiated by Bill Clinton. And um, <clears throat> a number of analysts have noted that it's, it's very rare for Islamic women, especially for those whose families have ties to the Muslim Brotherhood, to marry non-Muslims like Anthony Weiner, who's Jewish, by the way. Go figure that one out. Okay, so... Uh, and, and a number of Islamic scholars declared that Huma's marriage to Wiener was actually null and void under the dictates of Sharia law, which forbids marriage between a Muslim woman and an infidel. Now, Huma Abedin went on maternity leave after giving birth to a baby boy in December of 
2011. She returned to work in June 2012. The State Department granted her an arrangement. Now listen to this. That allowed her to do to earn outside income as a private consultant, even as she remained a top advisor in the Department of State. Now, this arrangement was made possible when Hillary personally signed off on documents, and these documents were dated March 23, 2012, that changed Huma Abedin's title from Deputy Chief of Staff to Special Government Employee. Now, Huma's outside clients included the U.S. uh, Department of State itself. Not much of a conflict of interest, do you think? But this is all, oh, 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 and Hillary Clinton, as well as the Clinton Foundation, were Huma Abedin's clients, and Tenio, which is a New York-based global advisory firm co-founded by Doug Band, who is mentioned in the Podesta emails. And much of this can be, I shouldn't say much, I've seen a lot of this references, these references in the Podesta emails, yet this is not coming out. Doug Band was a former counselor for Bill Clinton, by the way. But here's something that everyone needs to, to, to really pay attention to. Huma Abedin did not disclose on her financial report either the special employment arrangement or the $135,000 that she earned from it, and that's in violation of a law, federal law, that mandates that public officials reveal significant sources of income which would certainly show a conflict of interest. In fact, her title change did not become public knowledge until May of 2013. My goodness, over a year later. Conflict of interest written all over this. Judicial Watch played a large role in this. They filed a FOA, uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, that showed both before and after Hillary Clinton signed off on the special employment deal for Abedin in March of 2012, Huma repeatedly for months and months and months dodged State Department requests that she disclose financial. Uh, dis- she was required to disclose financial and employment information about her husband, uh, Anthony Weiner, who had left Congress amid personal scandals back in June of 2011. Now. Uh, a lot of this was carried in the UK. In fact, the Daily Mail carried much of this. And here's the the coup de grace, in my view. You talk about the Uniparty. In June of 2012, five Republican lawmakers. Michelle Bachman was one. Sent letters to the inspectors general at the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, the State Department, asking that they investigate whether the Muslim Brotherhood was gaining undue influence over the U.S. government officials. One letter noting that Huma Abedin's position with Hillary Clinton affords her routine access to to Hillary, to policymaking, expressed concern over the fact that Huma had three family members, her late father, her mother and her brother connected to the Muslim Brotherhood, their operatives and or their organizations. What I mentioned before about the coup de gras, the Uniparty, guess guess who objected? Guess said, oh no, don't worry about it. John McCain, John Boehner, and several other Republicans said, oh, don't worry about it. It's interesting because it was on February 1st, 2013, when Hillary, it was her final day as Secretary of State, Huma Abedin resigned her post as Clinton's Deputy Chief of Staff. 
yet she would continue to serve, stay on with Clinton. And on March 1st, 2013, Huma was tapped to run Clinton's post-State Department transition team comprised of a six-person transition office located in D.C. Now, in early March of last year, it was reported that during the entire four-year tenure as Secretary of State, Hillary never acquired or used any government email account, instead transmitting, in violation of government law, government regulations, all of her official government correspondence via personal email account that was housed on a private server. Now, Huma, Hillary, Cheryl Mills, they all had email addresses on this secret covert server while employed at the State Department. And after Hillary's uh, announcement in the spring of 2015 that she was running for president in 2016, Huma was named the vice chair of her campaign. Folks, it gets deep, even deeper than what I just mentioned. Huma's sister, for example, uh, Heba, is an assistant editor with the journal where she served alongside Huma prior to uh, Huma's departure. Her brother, Hassan, has direct ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. Folks, again, we've been infiltrated, captured. This is a captured operation. Giving you some insight into a report soon to be published, hopefully tomorrow, working on it now. And Joe and I have both been looking at the emails and all of the reports as I just uh, provided to you. Coming up next is Gregory Manorino. He's an independent trader, financial analyst. His website is traderschoice.net. He also maintains a YouTube channel and updates it on a regular basis. We're going to be right back with Gregory Manorino right after this. Stay with us. you're joining us so glad to be a part of your lives thank you for allowing us into your lives into your homes into your cars we really uh thanks for allowing us to be such a big part of your lives and thank you so much for your support your prayers it's really a huge family i believe and you know we're all in this together we've got a great guest coming up before we get to gregory manorino i just want to mention that you know I used to be very intimidated when I try to pick out a good wine. Our family loves to have Sunday dinners or loves to have dinners together, special occasions, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We just, we, we love that bonding time. And during that time, we, uh, we also will have a glass of wine with dinner. If you like good wine, but can't even spell sommelier, like I can't pronounce it. It's time to take the stress out of wine shopping and try Wink. It's the new way to get all of the best wines perfectly matched to your palate. 
Wink is spelled W-I-N-C. It works directly with winemakers and growers from all over the world to create delicious wine and deliver it right to your door. This is just the, the best wine club I've ever seen. Wink's 100% satisfaction guarantee means that if you don't like a bottle of wine they sent to you, they're going to replace it with a bottle you'll love, no questions asked. And the reason they can do this, or the reason they offered to do this, is because they've got a very special way they choose wine for you. You log on to the website. You answer six questions so they get a sense of your likes and dislikes. They'll give you recommendations that perfectly fit your taste. The all you have got, you have to do is just sit back and relax while they click quickly deliver the wine straight to your door. They're different from other wine clubs because there's zero commitment. You can join for free. You can skip any month, cancel any time. Every month, you'll receive a very unique, very delicious wine delivered right to your door, no hassle. They've got the 100% satisfaction guarantee. Never pay for a bottle you don't like. You can try them out risk-free. And they always have complimentary shipping. I don't just, or the Hagman family, we just don't get sent random bottles. Wink is a personalized wine membership that recommends wine specifically for the Hagman family based on results of our palate profile quiz. And, and you know what, folks? I rate all of the wine I receive from Wink so they learn about me, about my family with every order and constantly upgrade, update, personalize the wine that they send. You can sign up for Wink right now and gain immediate insider access to the best fine wine from all over the world. Find out for yourself why me, yours truly, while that, why the Hagman household and thousands of other satisfied wine lovers are raving about Wink. Here's the best part, folks. Wink is offering to you, the listeners of the Hagman and Hagman Report, $20 off right now when you go to try, that's T-R-Y, Wink, W-A-N-C, dot com slash Hagman. Folks, they'll even cover the shipping. Think about that. You'll get fine wine personalized to your palate, delivered right to your door. Try Wink and get $20 off, plus complimentary shipping right now when you go to trywink.com slash Hagman. That's trywink.com slash Hagman. Oh, I love this. I really do. Again, try wink.com forward slash Hagman for $20 off right now. Special to Hagman and Hagman Report listeners. Joe, I'm going to kick it back to you. All right. We have, uh, I want to thank John Robertson for setting this uh, next guest up. Our guest now is Gregory Manorino, an independent trader and financial analyst. His website is traderschoice.net. He also maintains YouTube channels that are active on a regular basis. Um, uh, for daily uh, general commentary market report, focusing on the details of technical trading and information and, and informing traders about how to approach options, Greg has recently released his technical trading playbook called the Evolution System, as well as a guide to day trading. Both sets of materials are available for download on Lulu, Gregory, Gregory Manorino Lulu, and are self-published. Uh, Greg's a, pro- a prolific video producer in his own right. He's a regular guest on USA Watchdog with Greg Hunter and has appeared on a plethora of uh, truth-directed media outlets, Infowars, Pete Santilli, yep. Future Money, Trends, Caravan to Midnight, SGT Report, Zero Hedge, and X-22 Report, He's among many everywhere. others. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, Greg's material has been published across mainstream financial outlets all over the place. Um, Greg, it's great to have you on the show. It is great to be here. Thank you for having me. I, I, I'm excited. I appreciate it. Well, Greg, we have a listener. Her name is Karen Rogers. I don't think she'd mind me using her entire name that uh, just uh, communicated with us saying, please tell Greg I said hi. Uh, she prayed uh, for your father when he was in a coma in the hospital. And I think you know her, so passing along her warm wishes to you, sir. That is so nice. Thank you. The prayers worked. It's uh, unbelievable. My dad recovered. It's, it's miraculous. Well, that's uh, that's just fantastic and great to hear. Well, it's, uh, we are. Uh, I don't know if you can hear this, folks. Us. Uh, we're having some kind of audio issue. I think Eric just said it's his fault. No, oh, no, it's on, on our end. end. It's on our end. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can yeah. hear. We can hear Greg. Yep, I'm here. Okay. And yeah, Greg, you can hear us, obviously. Is I can hear uh, fine, perfectly. Yes. Okay. Eric, is this a YouTube? BTR. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just keep rolling, and uh, oh, we're we're gonna pretend like there's n- there's nothing wrong while Eric's over there, uh, you know, taking apart the board. Okay, we're having a problem with YouTube and BTR Global, um, and we'll re-upload the audio to those outlets after yes. the show's over. Uh, we're still streaming live on Global Star Radio Network, and the audio issue should be fixed shortly i will jump on youtube and let folks know to jump over to global star don't want to take any more time away from our guest uh, gregory um what do you want to, where do you want to start today uh, we have a lot going on in the financial world i was reading uh the latest reports about you know the stresses of the deutsche bank and uh the debt issues in china and germany also here in the u.s i was reading about a another housing uh, market bubble um, we are looking at the possibility of, of the war, uh, with Russia, and we are in the, you know. Are you there? I lost you. There we go. I don't know okay. You... There you are. I can hear you. Yeah, All right. Well, I... I mean, honestly, I don't even know where to begin here. I, I think that unfortunately, um, people are being um, led down deliberately, and I, I mean that, down a path um, where they uh, can't even imagine um, how this is going to turn into a horror show, and I mean that, uh, of truly epic proportions. I mean, let's let's just look at the markets real quick. I mean, this is what I do. We have a situation here that we've never been in in the history of the world. We have world central banks that have literally flipped the financial system upside down. That means in certain parts of the world, they have negative interest rates. Here in the United States, we have an interest rate suppression cycle unlike anything we've ever seen, almost a decade. And what this has done um, has, just like you had alluded to, reinflated a housing bubble worse than the 2008, reinflated a stock market bubble way worse than 2008, all on the back of a debt bubble, which is engulfing the world. It's engulfing the world. And I I put it into these terms. When this bubble bursts, it's going to swallow the earth. 
um, it's of such a magnitude. Again, the the debt-based economic model, which is what we have, we do all the world's developed nations have a debt-based economic model. The, that means that the cash that's in your pocket, first of all, doesn't even belong to you. It belongs to the issuing central bank, and it's owed back to them plus interest that they print out of thin air. Okay, so the system is at a point here. Where again, world central banks have gotten so desperate to keep it propped up, they've had to go, they've had to flip it upside down. Um, the system is not meant to function in a negative rate environment or a suppressed interest rate environment like we have now. When, when, when a world central bank gets so desperate that they have to resort to a quantitative easing model, that is printing cash out of thin air, adding digits to a screen, starting to buy assets across the board, they've been buying debt for years. In, in Europe, they're buying corporate debt as well. Here in the United States, I can't prove this, but I do believe that the Federal Reserve is using dark pools which is uh, private exchanges to buy the stock market to keep it propped up. We have companies themselves that are buying back shares of their own stock, again, to try to keep the market propped up. Um, and again, this is getting a lot of people involved in this market on the long end. That means that they make money if the market continues higher, let's say an investment plan, a 401k plan, and it all looks great on paper just like it did at the last top of the market in 2008 and then it rolled over and people got wiped out well the fed has managed again to reinflate these bubbles doing no one any favors because when when this when this time when it melts down and it's going to it's going to take everyone first of all it's going to eliminate the middle class the middle class will no longer exist we'll be back into a feudal system we will have the haves and the have nots um, people are going to be left destitute, um, and the, the central banks in the current form of, of this debt-based economic model uh, will have no way to fix it, not like last time. What are they going to do? Print more cash out of thin air? Buy more debt? No. They have to come up with a new system, and the government is going to come forward and say, hey, look, we have a solution to your problem. They're doing this on purpose. They cannot be this stupid. Because when you have, again, I know I'm running off at the mouth here, but when you have a, a, a an environment like this, where um, world central banks again have um, suppressed interest rates, gone negative, it creates bubbles. It creates bubbles to the upside and it creates inverse bubbles as well. Nothing is real. There's no price discovery mechanism behind any asset whatsoever. Nothing. So all of this is going to correct to fair value at one point. And when that happens, it's going to feel like an economic meltdown of truly epic proportions. But all it will actually be is the market attaining fair value. That is the only job of the markets, all of them. Yeah, and we see, you know, how this... Uh uh, this creation of, of debt, what the central banks have, have done to the, to the globe, uh, you know, in America since 1913 with the inception of the Federal Reserve to the globe, as you mentioned, uh, in, in the opening there, uh, using debt instruments as money and, you know, to the toxic derivatives, to the, uh, un, the, the unpayable, uh, amount of debt that we have to the point where they're creating money out of thin air. This can only end one way. In, in your experience, do you think that this was all set up to usher in a one-world currency, that this was manipulated to go so badly that they would have a solution ready that could not uh, 
be manipulated the way that they manipulate this that everybody must be a part of? It's interesting because, and uh, again, either they are just completely inept or there's a plan under it all. And I don't believe that. I think that there is a plan here because the Federal Reserve, the world central banks, our policymakers, they cannot be that stupid to understand, to not understand that by doing what they're doing, that is suppressing interest rates and going negative here, that they're creating, um, um, they're creating an environment where cash is going into places where it should not be going and com- coming out of other places where it should be going into, creating, again, distortions of magnitudes that are just um, so difficult to get your head around. It even, it even spins my head around four or five times an hour just thinking about it. But there is no doubt in my mind that the current situation is not sustainable. We hear this all the time. The debt is not sustainable. We can't pay it back. We already know the debt is worthless. The debt can never be paid back. And the fact that world central banks have gone negative in certain parts of the world proves to us that the debt is worthless. So what are they doing? They have no choice. Here's the issue. The system that we have, the debt-based economic model, demands that cash be borrowed into existence in greater and greater amounts just to sustain where we are. The proof of that is just right in our faces. It took roughly 240 years to build up the first half of our national debt. We've had to double that in the last eight years under this president. In order to sustain where we are now, we will have to double the debt again in a shorter period of time. Again, it's not sustainable. So there's no doubt. You're absolutely right. They have a new system. It's probably all ready to be, you know, uh, put into uh, action when this system just completely collapses. And war is part of this. Look, the pawns are being placed all over the place. It's about control. That's all they want to do. They want to control people everywhere they possibly can. They started with this Obamacare thing, control the health care. That's the first step here. Um, control the monetary system that, and be able to replace it with a new system. Create a need for a new system. That's what they're doing already as well. The inner cities are falling apart. Um, minority unemployment is, you know, off the charts here. They're having to fake the data uh, to to try to keep the people in line to make them try to believe that we're in some type of an economic recovery. And all we've done, all they have done, is bury us in a, a mountain of debt, which is the greatest threat to humankind. It's when the debt bubble bursts, we are going to face a resource problem because the currency will become worthless or nearly worthless. And then people won't be able to attain basic needs to live. Everything will shut down. The credit markets will shut down. Banks will shut down. Businesses will shut down. The ATM machines will shut down. There will be no uh, 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 ability for people to even get cash that they believe that is in their accounts. And that's another thing. Maybe some of your listeners, I don't know, about, I don't know how... You know, the, their knowledge is about the financial system, but the cash that they believe in their, that is in their accounts that they see on the screen is not even there. It's a fractional reserve system. The bank lends it all out except for 10%. So if you believe you have $10,000 that, that's yours, you don't, you, you'd be lucky if there's a thousand you actually have access to. So the system is so corrupted. It is so twisted. 
um, that is going to have to be replaced with a new system. And I believe truly that is in the works. Uh, it's already in the, it's been finished, and they just have to implement it when this new system collapses, when this old system collapses. You, you know, uh, folks, we're talking with uh, Gregory Manorino. I, I just you're listening to to this man. He's super intelligent with respect to the financial markets. I, I just want to point out too, he also has a he also holds a medical degree. Um, I just I, I I mean wow. Uh, so sure. we're not. I mean we're t- we're talking with a gentleman who is extremely knowledgeable in many areas. He's a trader analyst um, as well, but. You you came onto my radar when you were talking with Greg Hunter back in July. I think it was end of July, middle of July, about a hemlock moment. I remember that phrase, hemlock moment coming for financial mm-hmm. markets. And mm-hmm. and I remember listening to that interview and thinking, uh, or and or reading, uh, I believe it was an interview. And then I think um, uh, Greg Hunter wrote an article about it. But I, I, I just, I mean, we are we we are so messed up. Um, and, and you even connected, I think at that point, and correct me if I'm wrong, the WikiLeaks series of email dumps that, that showed that, uh, um, the, the actual primary, if I recall, was rigged. Um, <laughs> I, I, again, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what you said, but that really put, put everything on the radar, folks. Um, a hemlock moment coming for financial markets, uh, is was the uh, title for that, but I just wanted to mention too that medical degree and all of this. So, so we're in a boatload of uh, a hurt right now, unprecedented, uncharted waters, right? Absolutely, like you were just saying, everything is rigged. Everything is not real. The the, the economic environment we are in is being faked. Um, uh, the, the markets are not priced anywhere near where they should be. Um, there again is no price discovery, and I mean none behind any asset people want to look at. If people think, "Oh, I got a good deal in my house," you, I'm sorry to tell you this: we're in a bubble. We're in a housing bubble right now, despite what the mainstream might be trying to feed you. Um, undervalued assets, for example, precious metals, massively undervalued based upon the debt and based upon um, how bull markets perform. When 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 you have an, an in deliberately induced um, Federal Reserve um, fostered runaway stock market, you get assets that become incredibly suppressed. Um, and not only suppressed, but manipulated. You had mentioned Deutsche Bank. You know, for, for years, people like me were saying that they were manipulating the price of gold and silver. We were considered conspiracy theorists because we said that. Well, we just found out that Deutsche Bank admitted that they're rigging the metals markets. In fact, they had to pay a fine. It's a pathetically low fine, a $38 million fine for rigging the markets. But how are the investors being made whole? They're not. Uh, my, my point is, is that every single thing is being rigged or manipulated in, in one way or the other. And they've deliberately, believe me, I know this, it has to be true. Otherwise, either they did it on purpose or they just are so stupid, um, to allow these bubbles to manifest themselves like this because we've, we've been here before, but never to this degree. Whenever the assets become so twisted and distorted away from, the, you know, the normal economic growth, you get a correction. Again, the market's only job is to determine fair value, period. So 
again, this they're they're fostering a wealth transfer. It is that simple. They don't know another way to put it. People that are all gung ho looking at their 401k plans right now, looking at their investment plans. The Federal Reserve is doing them no favors. They're doing it on purpose. They're going to blow this bubble in the market. And when the market bubble blows and all of this cash starts leaving it. It's, it's simply going to be transferred to some other people, another group of people. In fact, I'm going to lay it out in line. To people like myself who know how to trade the market, who know how it will work, this is what is being set up right now, and I'm trying to warn people about this. The main problem that we're facing now is the debt bubble, and I always refer back to the debt bubble. and. People need to watch it. How do you watch the debt bubble? Simply by watching bond yields, okay? The, the, the Federal Reserve has suppressed interest rates for many years, causing the capital to be misallocated all over the place, okay? We've inflated the stock market bubble on the back of that debt bubble, but there's going to be a problem here. The world is going to face a moment where they do realize that the debt is no good, that the debt is in a bubble, the debt can never be paid back. So what's going to end up happening at one point here is we're going to have panic selling in the bond market. That means people are going to try to dump the debt that they're holding and, and they'll, they'll be willing to take any price because we're going to run into what's called a liquidity problem, meaning there's not going to be two sides of this trade. In order for a trade to happen, whether uh, uh, the market to go up or the market to go down, to put it simply, there has to be a buyer and a seller. Well, at one point, when the debt market really starts to sell off, and it will, the, bond, the debt is worthless. We know this. Um, we keep hearing about it. It's not just, it's the mainstream that's pushing the narrative now, not just, you know, the alternative media like, like this and like people like myself. So when people are trying to sell the debt that's yielding, let's say, let's say a U.S. 10 year, for example, that was yielding 1.5 percent, let's say a few months back, and all of a sudden it's yielding a 2 or, or, or 2.5, who's going to want to buy the debt that's yielding a 1.5? No one. So these people are sitting there hold, getting left holding the bag. So we're going to run into a liquidity problem. Yield, bond yields are going to spike rapidly. When the bond yields spike rapidly and, and uncontrollably, that's going to put a massive amount of pressure on the stock market. We're going to get a simultaneous sell-off with the bond market and the stock market, and all of that cash does not go to money heaven. And I want people to understand that. It's simply going to go into other assets. This is why we need to be looking at assets that are suppressed right now. I'm a major uh, proponent of holding hard assets, gold and silver, especially in this deliberately uh, suppressed environment. And we have proof of that now. At one point, it will reach a fair value, no matter what they do. So, what people need to understand is their 401k plans and their investments that only make money if the market goes higher will be taken advantage of by those people who know how to do it. And this is the Wall Street banks, this is traders like myself, who will then take up what's called a short position. In other words, bet against the market and all the cash that is simply leaving the market out of people's 401ks, out of their investments plans, will be moved from those people's accounts to other people's accounts. So this is what the Federal Reserve does over and over and over again. They blow bubbles and they allow them to burst. When they burst, more cash is made faster than when the market goes higher. So it's a, it's a criminal enterprise, literally, in a scheme 
um, that is being set up on purpose to fleece and destroy the middle class. I have no doubt that in a few years from now, the middle class will no longer exist. Wow, uh, very well said, and there was so much information in there. Uh, we're talking with Gregory Manorino, and Greg, we're coming up against our... Uh, our middle of the hour break it's about a three minute break but i got a, a number of questions when we come back i want to ask you uh first of all about the uh, influx of, of immigrants that we see being brought over to the united states one of the mainstream media and the politicians main talking points is that somehow by bringing in you know tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of immigrants to the united states it will create some kind of boost in the economy. And if you can explain, uh, you know, the, the pros and cons of that argument, that would be fantastic. And also, uh, another question on social security. We constantly hear how the social security, um, pot is going to go broke, you know, sooner than later. But how can we never hear that, you know, the welfare pot is going to go broke? Um, we're exactly. going to get into this and more on the other side. Folks, you're listening to Greg Manorino. His website is... Traderschoice.net. It's a fantastic website, Traderschoice.net. All right, we'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. to the second segment with our guest Gregory Manorino. His website is traderschoice.net Check out uh, Market Report on YouTube. Um, he is an, a distinguished economist and we are talking about the current events in the world and the financial market and before the break I had a, a question for Greg and I wanted to, to make sure we get into this a little bit. We see this constant push of uh, illegal immigrants into the West Europe has seen millions, an uh, influx of millions, that's put uh, billions and billions of dollars of strain on their economy. We see here in the United States over 16,000 Syrian refugees were brought in uh, 2016 alone. That's just what is recorded on the books, not including what you know comes in undisclosed. And one thing we hear in the news and, and, and with, through the politicians and through the talking heads on the, in the media is that they want to bring in, you know, next year a hundred and some plus thousand here into the United States. But we hear about how this will benefit the economy in such a great way. Not only the, the economy, but it will, uh, help with the jobs and the job numbers. Uh, Greg, is this true? And how, if so, how is this possible? Well, first of all, the job numbers are all fake. We're, we are at great depression levels when it comes to the real numbers of unemployment. Um, one in five Americans is receiving public assistance at this present time here. Um, again, it's just unbelievable to know that more Americans today are receiving something from the government or from the rest of us, because the government has no money, right? They have to redistribute well than during the Great Depression. So, yeah, sure, let's, um, let's, 
look, I understand the plight of people. I do that, and, and my heart does go out to them. But it, this is no way possible can help our economy. Uh, anyone that is would believe that has to be, um, well... <laughs> Fill in the Looney blank. Tunes. Because, I yeah, mean, uh, you know, more competition for jobs here, um, for the people who already can't find work. Um, my wife's uh, sister, uh, who has a college degree, has been looking for a job for a year and a half and cannot find work. Um, or, uh, it's unbelievable. She had to, actually had to move back home with um, her parents. So, I mean, this is a situation we're in. Uh, we are in terminal decline, and there is no way out of it. And what all they're concerned with, again, is trying to keep the market inflated, again, because it's an illusion. If they can keep the stock market inflated, they can make people believe we're in an economic recovery. The true value, the, the actual value that the market should be, is probably 60, 70, 80% lower than where it is now. Wow. Um if we had a real market, but again, just going back to how any of this can help our economy, it, it cannot look. You need two metrics and two metrics only, really, to gauge where we are with regard to our supposed economic recovery. The number one thing I told people to look at is the labor force participation rate. How many people are actually in the, in the workforce and are working? Well, we are near historic lows. That's number one. The second one you need to look at is the money velocity. That is the rate at which cash is moving through an economy, our economy. Right now, we are also near historic lows. So how can we possibly have any kind of an economic recovery if we have a labor force participation rate near historic lows, money velocity near historic lows, more Americans needing public assistance than in history. Doesn't doesn't work that way. Again, they are so determined. The sad thing is, really, that people believe it. People have been deliberately, deliberately dumbed down. Thank Thank God for shows like yours where people can listen to these things and understand what's actually going on. Because if they sit here and they watch the mainstream media, they're going to think that, you know, we are in some utopian society where we could not be better off right now. And our economy is booming and the, the global economy is doing fabulous. You know, we should all be driving around in a Ferrari. Um, but, you know, that's not the case. And that's why when this whole thing really gets rolling. It's going to yeah. catch people by surprise. And, and thank you for, for being a beacon of truth and, and uh, spreading the true information, the true numbers out there. So many questions uh, coming in. We've got listeners all over the country and, of course, uh, into Europe and Australia. Uh, so many people want to ask you different questions. I, I've got one here that sure. I need to ask you about. Um, can mm -hmm. Trump make a difference? Okay, I guess in your view, can Trump's policies make a difference? Citing Michael Moore's uh, reference to the big F U, um, this election being a big F U vote, uh, citing of course Trump's statement that uh, to Ford saying that, yeah, go ahead and uh, keep your labor laborers in Mexico, or, or you know, uh, we're just going to slap a thirty five percent tariff on the on your vehicles coming into the United States. You're not going to sell any if you leave or whatever. I, I guess the, the the question here is Trump's policies. Can he fix mm -hmm. what's wrong? No. Can he fix it? Nothing can be fixed. No. 
Nothing can be mm-hmm. fixed. We're, we're, again, these distortions have to balance out. Have to. We, they, it, it's too, we, again, and I've been putting it this way, are in an environment of extremes. Now, there's probably a way to lessen some of the pain that the population is going to have to suffer through. But the fact remains that the financial system as a whole, and Donald Trump knows this better than anybody else. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a money guy. He knows. I wish I could talk to him. But I mean, you know, he knows better than anybody else that the current financial system is not sustainable. And we have bubbles. He talks about bubbles all the time too. So how do you fix a bubble? You can't fix them. The bubble has to burst. It has to correct somehow. Now, again, there may be a way to lessen this pain, but people are not going to be willing to do what it takes. That means they'll have to take massive losses on investments across the board, meaning their homes, meaning their uh, the, the the debt that the country owes. No one's going to want to take – and the, the debt that people we all owe is linked to pension plans. So no one is going to want to take those losses. Nobody. Um, so collectively, there's not enough power to do it. If so, again, we we have to understand the 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 root core of this whole thing. The debt-based economic model has created an alternative universe. In other words, if you were to look at a chart of the debt and put up a chart of the the global debt and a chart of the global population, you will see that they have risen in Tandem. Pay attention. Really, I hope you'll pay attention to what I'm about to say. So we have a debt bubble, which has been growing for decades, okay, which has it, it gone up like a hockey stick, the global debt. The population in the world has also grown up like a hockey stick. What is going to happen when the debt bubble bursts, when we can no longer borrow from the future just to sustain the now? What do you think? What do people believe is going to happen to the population? It is going to fall dramatically and rapidly. So if you want to put this into biblical terms, we are going to face a biblical moment where the debt bubble bursts and we are going to see millions, tens of millions, maybe more than that, of people die because they will not be able to get the basic resources they would need to sustain themselves. We've seen this before, but never on a worldwide scale. So, there lies the issue. The debt bubble has created an alternative universe, has allowed a population boom to manifest itself, which would have never happened if we were not allowed the, I don't even know what you want to call it, privilege, whatever it might be, to borrow from the future, to sustain where we are and build up wherever we are now, we would not have the world population we have. We would have a, a normal environment. Unfortunately, where we're stuck, we're stuck in a, a world that has been, um, again, manipulated, twisted, and distorted. They've created this environment on purpose to create more consumers, inflating the debt to try to feed the, 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 the corporations that run the world. This, this, the whole world is obviously not run by presidents, kings, queens, or monarchs. It's run by the corporations. It's run by the banks. So you can see where we're going. None of this can be fixed without a, um, well. Correction. It can't I be, mean, it just can't be fixed. Uh, okay. So, so, um, because our time is limited, I'll ask this. A normal family, a guy with a wife, uh, two mortgages, a house, uh, you know, maybe upside down on a car, or, or maybe ten grand uh, plus in revolving debt. 
working day to day just to pay the bills. What do we do? What do we do? Or, or maybe a step above that, someone who's comfortable, who who has ten, fifteen thousand dollars in the bank in a savings account, um, without debt. Where do you put your money or cash? Or I mean, what do we do? Well, let me say this, and I've been I've been literally screaming from rooftops about what I'm about to say for years. If you are a member of the middle class, you are in a lot of trouble. The odds are so stacked against you um, that I can't possibly put that into words. Um, what, what we need to do from a financial standpoint is understand where the opportunities are. If people are in, in, in debt, like you were just saying, they're going to get themselves out of debt somehow. What people don't, don't know is their debt can be negotiated. Um, banks do it all the time. Institutions do this all the time. If you owe $10,000 on a credit card, um, you can negotiate that. Will it hit your credit? Absolutely, it will. But you can negotiate that debt. So what I would suggest is people, if you're in a lot of debt, um, negotiate it lower. With your, you know, Start talking to the, the companies. won't give this up easily, um, but you can negotiate your debt lower. You can try to get yourself, if you have secured debt, for example, like a house or something, you're, in a, you're 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 done there. But if you have unsecured debt, for example, like a credit card or an unsecured loan, you can you can negotiate that. Um, with regard to this, the the monetary system that we're in, we know it's not sustainable. So you got to take the opposite side of that trade. How do you, how you take the opposite side of that trade is by holding a hard asset. And they've been doing everything they can to keep the prices of gold and silver suppressed. Gold and silver are Money. They've been money for thousands and thousands of years. Just because someone like Ben Bernanke says that gold is not money and, and states that world central banks hold gold just because it's tradition doesn't mean it's true. World central banks are keenly aware that these prices are suppressed and are keenly aware that gold and silver are universal money. There's no exchange rate. Okay, So you need to understand where the opportunities are. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, the, the, the most undue, if you're looking for the single most undervalued asset on the planet, it is physical silver. Um, it, there's no asset on earth that is more suppressed and more undervalued at this particular time. Debt is in the wow. biggest bubble. So if you want to look at both ends of the spectrum, you have debt, the, the bond market, debt, all that is on one side of the spectrum, and then you got silver on the extreme opposite side. Gold is right there too. Um, other, other commodities as well. But again, middle class people are in a lot of trouble. And and you I, do, you, okay. Let me ask this. I, I know because of time factors, but so, so many questions here. Contemporaneous, excuse me, contemporaneous with your statement about uh, silver. Um, we, we have the majority, well, our, our audience is, we, we, we speak to a Christian audience. They're biblical concerns about silver. Will silver or will precious metals have a use in the transition, in what's coming? In other words, uh, can the Christian, the average Christian out there with silver or with with a, a silver or gold hedge, are we going to be able to sustain ourselves, our families perhaps, um, with precious metals during this time of turmoil? 
It depends how bad this gets. I mean, we're going to have to, if look, in a worst case scenario, and you always have to look at things from a worst case scenario, if we end up in a full on total meltdown of the system, which I think they're, they're designing into it, uh, we may resort to a barter system. I mean, you got to get in, you got to get in tight with your community. You got to find people that you can trust, that you can, that you can, you know, lean on in times of, of, of uh, turmoil and tribulation. Absolutely. Um, you know, but I'm just talking about things from, from a, from the financial standpoint that this is the only way, the only way that you can protect whatever wealth you might have. Um, and will it get you through? Who knows? I have no idea. I think you need a getaway plan. I think you're going to need uh, a whole lot of faith in God, no doubt about it. You're going to need uh, a way to defend yourself, unfortunately, to get through it. I think there's going to be rioting that has the potential to be rioting in every street in the United States. I don't care where you live. This is why the police have been militarized in every state in the Union. Military tactics, military weapons, military trainings. I was in. I was an officer in the Navy. I was a lieutenant in the United States Navy. Uh, so I have a little bit of insight into this, um, and this is the, this is what's being set up about control. They know the system will fail, and when they do, they're going to have to call out, um, you know, the, the the national guard, the military here, to try to keep order, because the system is toxic. The system cannot continue like this. It can go on for a while. There's no doubt about it. We're not going to see it collapse tomorrow. Although, if you ask me, I think we might have seen the top of this market back in August. The stock market topped out in August. It's been steadily declining since that time. So, uh, what's going to drive it back higher? I don't know. I don't think it's going to be earnings. Um, the, the, the Federal Reserve is running out of bullets. These The companies have already bought back massive shares of their own stock. What's going to keep this market going higher? I don't know. Maybe they'll come up with some new scheme. But to answer your question, will gold and silver, is that going to be the end all? Absolutely not. You're going to need lots of other things as well. And there are, you know, lots of, um, YouTube channels and stuff that are dedicated to surviving, uh, a worst case scenario kind of thing. You got to be prepared. There's no doubt about it. You need to have water. You need to have food. You need to have a shelter. Again, a way to defend yourself. Um, and, and a whole lot of faith. No doubt about it. Fantastic. And, and folks, we're talking to Gregory Manorino, his website, traderschoice.net. That's traderschoice.net. Uh, I've been following his, <coughs> excuse me, his, um, um, information, his website, his videos now ever since, uh, I became aware of him. And I suggest you all do the same uh, as responsible Christians, as r- responsible Americans or members of the West, people of the citizens of the West, whether you're listening to this in the UK or Australia right now or Canada, United States, uh, t- t- take his information. Take heed of what he's saying. Absolutely. And with the nine minutes we have left of the interview, got a few more questions for you, Greg. Um, and, and you, you summed it up nicely about, you know, the state of the economy and, and the inevitable outcome of what's going to happen. But we know in the interim, as you said, that there could be many uh, distractions that happen that can delay or prolong the current economic situation, uh, war being one of them. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about energy prices. Uh, do you see the – we know that the U.S. dollar is, is the petrodollar tied to the oil in Saudi Arabia and in, in the Middle East – do you, uh, are there any indicators that we're gonna see any large increases in 
energy prices and and oil prices in the near future? Oil is a hard asset. So at one particular time, um, again, this is going to be one of those things. In the near future, in the very near future, I think we're going to see some pressure here on 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 um, on oil, probably on the energy sector uh, as a whole. Um, you can capitalize on that if you look at the tree of these markets, no doubt about it. That's what I'll be doing. Um, longer term, again, it all comes down to, yes, these things are priced in dollars. And um, there's no doubt that there are other countries around the world, China being one of them, Russia being another one, that more than would love to have the world reserve currency. There's a lot of benefits that come with having the world reserve currency. It creates, it creates an ever-increasing demand for your, for the central bank's product, which is printed bills. But I think there's a, you know, there's a very good chance that the United States will lose that ability, uh, will lose the reserve currency down, down the line. It's happened before. We've seen, we've seen this. Um, and unfortunately, the situation is so dire. The debt is so massive here in the United States. Just for example, we are the biggest. What people, most people don't know is the United States. Well, you, you hear person, someone like President Obama trying to tell us that we're the richest country in the world. No, 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 no. We are the most indebted nation the world has ever seen. Ever seen. We are absolutely broke and destitute. Period. Our nation is bankrupt. So when you hear a politician say something like that, when you hear Obama say something like that, you have to understand, he is lying to you directly. Um, we are not the richest nation on earth. Uh, it's very sad to have to say that. Um, but we have to continue to borrow to sustain where we are. And energy in the future will be a commodity most people will not be able to afford. Very interesting. Uh, war. Uh, we hear this uh, this constant hype of, of World War Three breaking out between the U.S. and Russia or the U.S. and China, and we see the different reasons, one of them being, you know, the uh, Arab Spring and the conflicts that we've started in Syria. But I want to ask you, could all this, uh, the, the reasons for the the upcoming conflict or, or potential war, are, is it more monetary than uh, what we're seeing in the news, which is, you know, uh, the proxy wars over, over territory and um, you know, these humanitarian crises. Is there a monetary underling, underlining here that we're not hearing about? Of course there is. Who finances the wars? The banks do. So is it, of course it is. I mean, you know, who wins during, during wars? The banks win. The banks lend the money. Um, or it'll probably be, you know, you know, they finance both sides too. We've seen this throughout history. But look, the only, the sad thing is that people are being set up here um, to fight in this war. The, the the millennials, the next generation under them, unfortunately, will who are looking for some type of you know of, of free education and free this. And the only thing that's going to be free is the flow of their blood and guts on some foreign soil as they are fighting wars, because that's where we're going here. There is no doubt about it. And who will win? The banks will win again. The institutions will win again. The politicians will win again. That's why they want bigger government. That's why Hillary wants a bigger go- wants the government to grow larger. They want a government that will control the people, not a government uh, of the people and for the people and by the people, but a people that are becoming enslaved to their government. Um, and unfortunately, people have gotten so. Uh, 
um, they've turned into some kind of sheep-like animal that will just follow along like and be puppetized. But there are some, I'm more than certain, uh, who are listening to the show who will not allow that to happen, who understand where this is all going here, um, and will not allow themselves to be controlled. But you got to be prepared. We have to be prepared for what's coming here. And it, it seems like a, a, a meltdown of the financial system is coming. Wars are coming. Um, and we just need to be ready for it. And you can't wait. You have to be ready for it now. Not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, next year. But it, you got to be ready. You always have to have the high ground and, um, and be ready for a crisis when it hits. Gotcha. Now, you've got, Greg, you've got uh, a newsletter or a news channel market report, correct? Yes, um, I, I do a business day market report. I talk about a lot of these kinds of things. I also uh, talk about the markets, how people can make them work for them, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, uh, because I, I, I truly, excuse me, I truly believe that that uh, you are uh, one of the most well, an honest source of information, very effective, very, um, very relevant, and, and people today are struggling. We're all struggling with the headlines, with the news. The majority of people don't understand the. I mean, the, the, our audience understands the monetary system pretty well, but I, I'm not sure the majority of of any audience understands the levels that we're at. I mean, you, we, because we can still go to Starbucks and buy a cup of coffee for what five bucks or whatever. How much? How much it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and there's still food on the grocery store shelves, fresh produce and such. So it, it, the appearances are deceiving, aren't they? Yes, they are because it, because we still can borrow. We still we can still borrow from the future. Every single minute of every single day, our debt grows. It gets larger because we're borrowing from the future to sustain the now. It is not sustainable. Again, what do people think? We're at twenty trillion dollars in debt right now. What do they think we can sustain a forty trillion dollar, sixty trillion, one hundred trillion? We have to pay interest on this debt. It's all linked to it. All all of the people's uh, retirement plans, and it's all linked to the debt. It's all going to be gone uh, at one particular point. It's it's a very sad situation, I have to say, honestly. And I really don't know a way out of it other than this thing just correcting to fair value, which the market always does. Well, one thing that... uh that you say and you advocate for is to become your own central bank. And uh, I really like that phrase. We got one minute left, and uh, I just want to say, you know, people need to do what they can to learn as many trades as possible. To Everybody should be growing their own food and become independent from this system, whether it's the monetary system, the, the, commercial, the commercialized system. Um, that's the way we can beat these people is to come together and not be in need of what they are offering. Greg, I want to thank you for your time tonight. It's been a, a quick hour and a fantastic interview. We hope that you can come back sometime in the near future. I love that. Let's let's definitely do that. All right, brother. Any, any predictions on the election? Yeah. I think it's all going to be rigged, unfortunately. Um, I would love to see Trump win, I'll be honest with you. Uh, although, like I said, I don't think anything can actually be fixed. But Hillary is part of the establishment, government control, um, control of the people. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think anyone listening to this show wants that. 
Indeed. Wow. Gregory Manorino, traderschoice.net. Brother, thank you so very much for your gift of time tonight. Uh, Everyone needs to check out traderschoice.net. Follow Gregory Manorino. Thank you, my friend. We'll be talking soon. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Folks, uh, next hour, Standale, standale.com. Wow. What what an incredibly informative hour with Gregory Manorino. Absolutely. Stay with us for our last hour. Go to standale.com. Click on the show images page on the right-hand side of the of the page and follow along with Stan's latest investigative and research findings. We'll be right back. Tuesdays, it's Tuesdays with Stan. Stan Dale, the real Indiana Jones boy. What it's going to be? This hour is going to be a tremendous hour. I could tell you that, folks. Visit standeo.com. That's standeo.com. If you haven't already gotten Holly's books or Stan's books, do so. Tremendous resource. Uh, I mean, Holly, the way Holly writes, uh, Dare to Prepare and uh, Prophetic Perils, my goodness, just fantastic. And, of course, Stan as well, equally respected as well. Folks, the last hour we, we spoke with Gregory Manorino, and I want to thank John Robertson again for uh, arranging that interview. But a wealth of information there. It's interesting because when Gregory was talking, I was thinking about precious timber. Now, if you are an accredited investor if if you do have discretionary income if, you, if you've got all of your preps taken care of i want you to think about a potential 15 percent return that's right 15 percent yield on an investment how about coconuts worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops in fact coke pepsi many high net worth individuals they've invested in coconuts as a growth investment for long-term income direct ownership of fully managed coconut acreage is now available to accredited investors and could very well yield as much as 15 percent per year this triple bottom line opportunity generates a measurable beneficial and social in, in environmental impact alongside an attractive financial return that lasts up to 60 years help Precious timber. Help them create jobs. Help them educate the children. Help them protect our planet by growing coconuts on prime farmland close to the tropical Costa Rican border. Qualified accredited investors should go to profitsincoconuts.com. That's profitsincoconuts.com. Or simply call 855-888-6288 to receive more information. Folks, I got to tell you, the, the fine print. This uh, does not inco- this does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. Again, call eight five five eight 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 six two eight eight or visit profitsincoconuts.com. You heard Alex Wilson on our program. 
PreciousTimber.com. Tremendous guy. Does so much for so many. That's Alex Wilson. But ProfitsAndCoconuts.com. 855-888-6288. As we are joined each and every Tuesday in hour number three by Stan Deo, he is with us again on this Tuesday. Stan, it's great to have you back on the, the show. Hope you had a, a fantastic week. And where do you want to start off today? You're doing, uh, you know, uh, spring cleaning and... Uh, fall cleaning. Oh, fall cleaning. Sorry, fall cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little ahead of the game, said Holly. Yeah. Um, yes, a lot of fall cleaning. But, um, you know, things that need repairing as well. You know, plumbing, electrics, garden. And <sighs> what fun. <laughs> Still, it, we're it, it never doing stops. a free country. Stan, I mean, you and I, it never stops, does it? You know, it's, it's no. it, one thing no. after another. I got into the shower this morning, pulled the, the little thing, the handle to turn the shower on and twist the hot and cold, and I noticed, wow, there's a lot of extra water coming out of that faucet there, out of the handle. What's, you know, <laughs> and that was today's little exercise with the plumbers and stuff, fixing that. I, I, anyway. I, I hear you, brother. I, yeah, I, I tried to actually. I tried to repair my furnace last week um, as the cold weather was coming in, and I just got to tell you, uh, don't try this at home, folks, because that did cost me about two hundred and sixty-five dollars to. Um, well, I didn't know what I was doing, so the service call and the repairman, the furnace repairman, looking at me and saying, "What were you trying to do? I don't quite understand what you're trying to do." Anyway. Yeah. It's always something. Yeah. I kind of get that every now and then, too. But you try. Well, um, I guess you've been, uh, like everyone else, kind of deluged with all these pollsters and stuff uh, on the phone things at night when you're trying to rest or watch a TV program. Had a call, uh, yeah, had a call at 8 o'clock this morning at the office. I didn't realize, I mean, it was like exactly at 8 o'clock, and it was amazing. So, uh, yes, what do you make of it? Well, uh, you know, I, I wonder why they do this, because there's so many different takes on statistics, you know, uh, that you can bend them any way you want, and I guess they just have to kind of seem to justify whatever they're going to come up with on either side, you know, picking and choosing from the best ones. But uh, I was, I was... Uh, bemoaning this fact as I was reading through the news today and somebody sent me a link. I, I'm just trying to remember who it was. It was one of the listeners um, uh, telling me, uh, have a look. If you're looking at uh, polls, have a look at the voting that's uh, already being tried in Texas. And, uh, and so they sent me over to InfoWars, you know, to Alex Jones's place to look at a, uh, a story they put up today. Uh, in fact, it's on my show images page. It's item number six, uh, InfoWars votes swish from Trump to Hillary, question mark. If you go have a look at it, a rather frightening thing occurs, whether you're supporting Trump or whether you're supporting Hillary or Joe Bloggs or whatever. In Texas, in three different places in this article, you, know, you and Amarillo, and, uh, which is out west, and then over in uh, oh, Arlington, which is more in central Texas, in a third place, people went to the polls and pull the, uh, you know, set their ballot uh, selection, and these particular people were voting for the Republican ticket straight down. And when they pulled the little lever, it flipped it over automatically to all Democratic 
vote. Mm-hmm. And they just changed their vote immediately. And, uh, you know, I thought, goodness gracious, one machine you could be, you know, thinking, well, that was a detective machine. Two machines, different places in the state. Then three machines, different places again. And so, you know, uh, Alex and his crew thought that was pretty unusual, too. So they sent their guy around to interview, excuse me, to interview um, the reporter. Sorry, was sent from them to interview the director of elections uh, for Texas. And they went into the state capitol building or wherever he was. There you can see all the fancy uh, stairways and stuff in the video if you go to the link I'll put there. And this guy throws up his hands and says, oh, I'm not talking to you, and turns around and runs back up the stairs. So they must know that they've got a problem there, whether intentional or otherwise. But who else is using these machines? You know, it's just, are we going to have a fair election at all? You, you know, the the only, really, the only um, viable solution that I've seen came from a an email from Kim uh, who wrote... And, and thank you, Kim. Uh, have people, when they go vote, to pray in the voting places and lay hands on the machines and plead the blood of Jesus. Uh, may the Father's will be done, but uh, in Jesus' name. But but you know, how do you fight that, Stan? I mean, I... you know, our daily prayers here at the house. Uh, we uh, pray for a fair election, but most of all, we pray that uh, the Lord chooses the leader that we need now. You know, it's his will. And it may be contrary to what we think, but there's always a purpose to it. We're just yeah, hoping it's kind true. of putting yeah. off the, the bad one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the closer we get to this election, Stan, I mean, I, I've, it's amazing to me to, to, to hear on the mainstream media, as we were saying in the first hour, and I think, uh, I think during the first hour, we see... The media tell us that that Hillary is she's a lock, basically. The numbers are in in her favor. Yet today, and I I shared this with with the audience, driving from uh, the studio to a store, nearby store, just seeing these huge Donald Trump signs go up. And everyone we speak to is saying we're voting for Trump. They're sick of the establishment establishment, uh, in Washington. Yeah, they're saying that. Everybody I talk to, too. And if it doesn't come out that way, I'm going to be, uh, you know, wondering uh, why not. Exactly. Yeah. And then, then to see what you pointed out with respect to this, this flipping of the votes. And that can go either way or any way that the vote counters want that to go. But we, uh, wow. Yeah. Well, either way, it wouldn't be fair. But, exactly. you know. Who said life was fair? Mm. Well, yes. Anyway, well, it's it's uh, yeah. Go ahead, sir. That's all right. Now you know, kind of either way this thing goes, I think that the world is headed into uh, the tribulation period. We're going to head into global war on a number of fronts and uh, uh, nuclear war, and we're going to we are heading into uh, catastrophic changes in the weather and the sun, and which drives the weather. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of tells you or makes you wish that the rapture comes pretty soon. I, I keep looking up and, uh, you realistically, uh, you know, you, you don't know when it's going to come, day or night. But I, I read in the scriptures over and over again, to catch.
catches up in the clouds, like he says in Thessalonians, in the clouds to meet with the Lord and to you know be with Him wherever He is forever. And I thought, clouds? Uh, does that mean a few cumulus clouds floating around, or is it going to be a very cloudy day or a very cloudy night or cloudy all over the planet? And, um, you know, if it were cloudy all over the planet, I would suggest that's probably due to... Um, couple things could be due to a massive volcanic eruption, supervolcano, and it spreads ash around the planet and causing hazy cloud cover everywhere. Or the sun increases in its heat uh, enough to uh, boil up water and uh, generate clouds at high altitude, covering us with a kind of bumpy canopy of clouds like before the flood. Uh, whatever the case might be, I do think that it means that the clouds will be kind of a uh, a cloud screen, uh, not allowing people on the ground to see what's happening, and uh, in that you know, blink of an eye, when people are transformed from their physical bodies to the new bodies uh, and caught up into the clouds, no one will see the streaks of light or whatever happens when their bodies convert and go up into there. I was thinking about this last night. I took the dogs out for you know their ten thirty break uh, to, before they went to bed, and I was standing out there and. Uh, yawning, and uh, I thought, you know, what has brought me to this moment in time right here, taking two dogs out there, taking a leak over there, and I'm looking up at the stars, and I, what brought me to this one moment in time? And with that, this dirty big meteor comes right over my head from the Orion, it's straight down in front of me, and instead of just streaking to a, a disappearing, it ended in a a, a flaming ball and then disappeared and I said to myself well actually I said to the Lord right Lord you and me <laughs> always was <laughs> and I, was, I figured that was a sign something's about to happen soon anyway so, signs signs in the heavens you know it's um, yes wow and yeah, the, I had that once before the meteor coming at me well, <laughs> <laughs> But, but I must I must say the philosophical introspective uh, Standale. Uh, wow! <laughs> All right, I'm allowed to think like that every now and then. Indeed, but it yeah. uh, encouraging it is. Now, um, as I said, one way or another, I think that we're going to see a war which will hit the U.S. on shore, um, and. The Democrats win. It may happen faster than, than if uh, you know the Republicans win. I'm not sure, but one way or the other, we're either going to have a civil war or a civil war or a civil war, which will weaken us. And Russia, China, and uh, maybe you know, North Korea, and maybe you know one of the Arab countries will dive in on us and attack us. And uh, so that's why I, I gathered some stats on the uh, the show images page about things that would uh, be of interest to us, like um, what cities and places are nuclear targets in the event of such a thing happening. And that's the number 14 uh, image at the top. I didn't have time to do much more than put the icon up there, but uh, you can get the full story of the full image and, and uh, other images with it on uh, all these prudent places, USA, um, which is a large map, much larger than that. You can get that and have a look at the different sites and, and she list of which ones are potential and which ones are pretty much certain and you know where missile silos are and everything else. Now, uh, items 10, 11, and 12 are from a, um, a global firepower site, globalfirepower.com, uh, 
And these are only some of the many factors they consider about uh, countries, how, how many submarines a country has, how many aircraft carriers, how many uh, gunboats, how many troops. And you can click onto those and, uh, you know, like submarines by country. Uh, you see some interesting things in the article it discusses. The uh, U.S. has 75 submarines. Well, most of those are uh, nuclear submarines and, uh, you know, can do a lot of damage. Now, uh, Russia is kind of way down the list uh, as far as submarine strength. But, you know, it has some pretty uh, mm, tough things on the submarines. Uh, they only have 60 submarines, and I don't know how many of those are, you know, of the Beret class. It's not all 60 for sure, but the Beret submarines, as I've discussed before, can wipe out uh, probably 180 cities with nuclear attacks in, in, in one fell swoop off that one submarine sitting offshore somewhere in the North Pacific. Um, and then you see that uh, China has 68 submarines. Well, the, the probably maybe five or six of those are threatening, uh, new threatening uh, nuclear submarines that are at least known publicly. And uh, they could do similar damage to what uh, Russia can do to us. And then the surprising thing is that North Korea, when you look at the stats of it, it has 70 submarines, but most of those are coastal attack submarines with you know limited capabilities. They are full-blown um, nuclear submarines, but still they have 70 of them with which to do some harm. And we lead the pack with 75 submarines, mostly uh, nuclear ones. Uh, and that, that's an interesting yeah. graphic. I mean, uh, I did I did not know North Korea. I, I understand your 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 categorization about North Korean submarines, but that surprises me. There's seventy submarines, second yeah. only behind the United States. Yeah. Hmm. Now you see, you can, if you're having a like a boots on the ground war, you need uh, troop transports and uh, you know uh, aircraft carriers to be used for that too, to a certain degree. But um, you have interim. Uh, Aircraft, fighter aircraft, uh, bombers, and things, various countries. And um, the United States, as far as aircraft carriers, to g- generate the the uh, laydown of weapons and shock and all before you send troops in, we have 19 aircraft carriers. And uh, then France is next in, in the world list with four, and Japan has th- uh, three, and uh, Italy has a couple. But, you know, the U.K. has two uh, aircraft carriers, uh, Australia, sorry, two. And you go down the list, the United Kingdom has one. By far, we have, like at 19, we have a lot of sea power in those aircraft carriers. Now, whether they're defendable, you know, whether they're EMP-hardened, you know, whether the submarines by the the Chinese and the Russians, et cetera, could uh, take out these aircraft carriers with uh, tactical nukes, another another question. And to that end, this uh, uh, website, the globalfirepower.com, has compiled a list of military strength, countries by military strength, considering, you know, all these factors. And then I've, I've just given you two out of probably... Uh, 60 or 70 factors that they list for all the, the major nations of the world, at least you know 126 countries anyway. Now, they put uh, the United States at uh, the point of, let's see, how do we rate that here, at a factor of 0.0897, which is about 0.09, and 
down under four in, in all these countries. Well, there's a couple under five or six, Sweden. But you can see that uh, all things considered, the major players in this game are going to be United States, Russia, and China. That's no surprise, but they've done this you know, mathematically to put everything together so that we can know where the strengths are. But until the shooting starts, you don't know what the enemy's got and late in surprise, you know, for you. Even with the internet and leaky press that we've got today, you still don't know what the enemy's got in the back room because people can keep secrets in this age, believe it or not. Um, do, do you, Stan, I've been getting some emails because many people have been writing about the potential for a nuclear war. Um, a, a couple of questions people have asked me to ask you on air. Um, I'm just going to fire off a couple of them and, and take them in whatever order you wish, if you wish. Number one, uh, you had mentioned about the nuclear capabilities of submarines. Let's just say, for example, somebody became trigger happy in the United States or someplace in Europe, wherever it might be, uh, absorbed some nuclear strikes. Big question going around. In fact, I saw a, a survivalist forum talking about it. Um, are nuclear strikes survivable? In other words, if you take the reasonable duck and cover precautions that we all laughed at during the 60s and such, can you still survive um, a nuclear strike, depending, of course, upon proximity? That's number one. Number two, space-based weapons. Is that a force multiplier fact changer? Would that uh, would they be more in use uh as opposed to not being in use, or is that an option? Thirdly, the other weapons that we don't know about that you mentioned, would they be used before or instead of nuclear weapons? All of these questions I've seen uh, have been coming to our studios for us to ask you. So there's, there's well, let's three go right there. with the first one. Um, what was that about nuclear war? Uh, um, well, you know, essentially... The people want to know if, uh, let's say, if a nuclear blast happens in downtown Chicago, and I know there's so many variables, as many variables as there were questions about this, downtown Chicago or something. If you're on the suburbs of Chicago or New York or whatever, um, is is a strike survivable? Another, if you're not underneath this nuclear blast, kind of like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, are we still in that? Um, well. Yeah, you can survive them. Um, uh, Holly, I think, in uh, Prudent Places has a um, blast radius, you know, calculator or image uh, graphic showing like a five megaton versus this. In fact, she might have it in there to prepare to, I think, the book. Um, I just can't remember the details of it, but I'll say this. Um, one megaton type devices uh, probably would be submarine launched, and uh, they can put out quite a few of those. Now, one megaton would make a big dent in the heart of Chicago or New York because the population density is so crowded. You know, the the multi-story uh, dwellings, you know, uh, apartments and things like that and, and condos. Um, if you can get free of the um, initial blast radius, the uh, get free of the um, thermal radiation uh, portion of it, and that might mean be... Five, let's see, a minimum of five miles from the blast center, um, depending again on the strength of it. 
you could then survive the fallout and stuff like that. Um, you don't want to be directly exposed to the immediate radiation burst if you see or, or, uh, out, or outside when the blast goes off. If if you are even close to looking at the direction of the blast, immediately turn away, shield your eyes to save your eyesight uh, because even at a, at a great distance, the initial radiation release could blind you. It may not happen immediately. It may take several days, but that's why you want to do an immediate shield of that. Um, Holly is also in dear to prepare, shown what you can do, what materials you can use, how many inches of it you have to use, and how you could say set up your basement in a makeshift um, fallout shelter. And that's if you're far enough away that the initial blast, uh, you know, the shock wave uh, didn't tear your house down and uh, uh, the radiation, you know, didn't hit you in a direct line because you were shielded by the building you're in or whatever, the house, from the alpha radiation anyway. Um, and it shows you that you can take maybe two or three weeks inside and how you can uh, endure until the uh, the fallout has gone through its half-life and disappeared to where it's livable to go out into it. Um, and surprisingly, you can uh, endure a fallout situation if it falls right on your house out away from the initial blast radius. The one thing she does say is uh, it's probably better to have, um, you know, like a backpack and uh, emergency supplies. And uh, if you see the anvil cloud, that typical windblown ash cloud that comes from a nuclear blast like that, if you see it coming straight for you, you can um, go to the left or to the right of it, uh, and you can walk fast enough to get away from it most times because the the air currents are not going to bring it that quick. Uh, you look at thunderstorms, how long it takes them to move toward you or away from you. So you can even walk away at right angles to the anvil cloud uh, to safety if that's an option for you. But if it's not and uh, you want to uh, endure in situ in your home, you can prepare your home um, with um, things like sand and with concrete. Uh, that's concrete uh, like in your basement walls. Uh, with dirt and sand, so many inches of that, uh, with steel plating, if you've got that, with uh, books, you know, uh, books are a good shield as well. And you can put those onto uh, wood rafters or support racks of some sort into a little small area in your basement where you uh, would hunker down for that period of time, making only small excursions from that protected area to um, areas away from windows. Old phone books, which I remember as being the poor man's um, Kevlar. Uh, when I, when I say that, I'm talking about like in door panels of vehicles to absorb uh, or to protect yourself from bullets. For example, folks, we're you're listening to the Hagman Hagman Report. Very special guest, of course, every Tuesday, Standeo, Standeo.com. Those people who had emailed us about uh, well with these questions, visit Standeo.com. Dare to prepare. For example. Holly Dale's books, There to Prepare for One, Prudent Places USA as well. We're going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Thank you. 
ladies and gentlemen, to our final segment of this Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are joined by Stan Dale right now, and if you joined us late, we covered news in the first hour. In hour number two, we had economist Gregory Manorino, who joined us for the hour. It was a fantastic interview, and now we have Stan for the last half hour. Um, there's a whole lot going on, Stan. Um, we were talking about the... Uh, potentials for nuclear war, the armaments of different nations and capabil- military capabilities, and sadly, and many people think, yeah, and surviving, how to survive. And You know what, Joe, if I can interrupt just one question, uh, somebody just sent, sent this email to, uh, here to the studio, uh, wanting your opinion, Stan, on nuclear radiation, portable nuclear radiation detectors, are they a worthwhile investment? They are. Um, you can get, I think you can still get some of those old yellow ones from the uh, 60s uh, that have been refurbished and, uh, and uh, recalibrated. Um, I don't have the name of the site right off the tip of my tongue, but um, we have one here. And uh, that is mainly useful if you're wanting to, uh, say, test food that you come across after a nuclear attack and you know, weeks have passed and you're out foraging for food if you haven't got enough stored in your own place. And you can run this over certain types of food and, uh, you know, get a radiation reading just whether or not to even stay in the region, you know, where the food is, get away from it. It won't always tell you, like, fish and things like that. It's hard to read the nuclear uh, figure on that with the, the water in the, uh, the surface of the fish, you know, like in, in a, a food store. And that's probably not going to be your big problem. It's going to be canned goods and, and boxed uh, foods that you'll want to test. And then, of course, you want to test if you're going through an area that, you know, uh, a fallout zone may have hit it, and the wind may have blown away a lot of the surface ash, and you're heading toward it, you're going to walk through it or drive through it. Well, these portable detectors are of use there to see whether you're entering into some hot territory, and uh, depending upon the strength of it, you know how long you have to stay in that area before it's uh, uh, going to give you problems, uh, lethal or otherwise, you know, blisters and things like that. So, yes, I, I think those are, are a good idea. Um, now, now, Doug, you'd ask me three kind of general categories. Well, so can you survive a nuclear attack And if you're not in ground zero? And then what was the second and third? I forget now. The uh, In no particular order here, um, space-based weaponry, would, would, would they make the space-based weapons, for example, and I'm not exactly sure what that all entails. Uh, are they nuclear? And if they are not nuclear, would space-based rep- weapons make nuclear war less likely? Well, uh, I don't know whether it make them less likely, but if you're looking at attacks on the United States, uh, one of the things that could be done from orbit is... Uh, releasing incendiary bombs, you know, things that are multiple warheads, uh, which are just fire starters, and send them over forested areas and things like that to cause massive fires to burn across the country and overload the uh, fire defense uh, forces in addition to nuclear strikes on the ground or, you know, from submarine. There are just a number of things space-based that uh, could be used, but in the end, if you're going to occupy and control a, a country, 
that you've defeated or want to defeat. You need boots on the ground. You need uh, tanks and, and uh, you know vehicles and uh, troops, which means you've got to bring them in by uh, ship and by aircraft. Uh, and I think that's a bigger consideration because um, they won't bomb the areas that they really want. Uh, they may do an EMP-type strike and neutralize all of your electronics and communication and then bring the troops in. There are just a number of scenarios that we are going to be faced with, and the deployment of these is going to be dependent on so many variables that Lord only knows uh, how it's going to, uh, to play out. Uh, but the only thing I can suggest is that America is certainly not going to come out on top of whatever starts. And as we get to within the election day here, you know, I'm sure everybody is kind of just thinking, is it, is it going to happen before the end of the year or in the new year? But not if, but, you know, when and how soon. Yeah, yeah another, anyway. another thing aside from, you know, the nuclear uh, threats that we face with, with the looming war, uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, Internet wars, on cyber wars from, you know, cyber hacks? of governments, power grids, critical infrastructure um, areas that that could happen, you know, as a precursor to a actual conflict? Well, um, the most likely uh, to be affected, you know, uh, radically uh, are the United States and Great Britain. Um, Russia to a degree, China to a degree, but uh, I think we're the most dependent upon our high-tech uh, internet connections for running various things and sensing various things. So that certainly will be on the drawing board for a, a precursor to the main attack. You, you try to hit command and control in a normal battle of the enemy, and you know, command and control in our country heavily depends upon internet and wireless type transmission. So an EMP blast, uh, a, a, uh, an internet uh, denial of service, and uh, you know, collapse of our infrastructure and uh, communications, telephones, especially cell phones. Everybody's so dependent on uh, you know, uh, Wi-Fi based telephones instead of hardwired. Um, even hardware aren't going to be good in an EMP. So hit communications, command and control, and then after that you start uh, with um, whether you're going to destroy property, you know, nuclear silos and things, so they can't, uh, we can't retaliate. And uh, then after that, uh, boots on the ground to get rid of resistance. Um, so that's the way I see it playing out, and certainly the the internet uh, will be a major factor in the beginning of these uh, attacks. Interesting. Yeah, we see the um, uh, increased rhetoric from you know President or Vice President Biden talking about taking uh, cyber attacks to Russia at a, a time that they'll determine in the future. And we know the vulnerabilities of our own infrastructure. We also see there was a. I don't know if you saw this, Stan. There was an executive order. Um, and I'm looking for it right now. I believe it was it was last week, uh, maybe the 13th. It could have been earlier than that. That was uh, preparing for a space weather event or events. I'm not sure the exact wording. I'm going to pull it up here. I think I saw and, that too. Yeah. Yeah, and um, 
it talked about you know what we we know about the uh, here it is coordinating efforts to prepare the nation for space weather events. Um, this was signed on the 13th of October, and it talks about you know the we've talked on in the show with you on the book one second after the EMP threat at, at great length, um, and we know the vulnerabilities and how the power grid's not backed up, and and you know one solar storm like one we had in the 1800s could wipe out our power grid and and set us back to the stone age Um, but this executive order talks about um, policy for space weather events from solar flares to solar energetic particles geomagnetic disturbances and other uh, measure other uh, instances that could have measurable effects on critical infrastructure systems and technologies now they go on to talk about how they uh these different types of events could disable large portions of the electric electrical power grid, having a cascading effect on water supply, healthcare, transportation, and other um, life-sustaining critical uh, uh, industries. Now, they only approach this in the executive order from the the threat of space weather. But what my dad mentioned about the space-based weapons and the Understanding of launching a nuclear war above our, you know, above a, a country, has the same same effect. Um, I, I guess this would be speculation, but why now? Why do you think they put this executive order out now? And uh, when they had so much warning and the ability to uh, really hardwire the system a long time ago for you know, I think it was two billion dollars to make sure that the U.S. power grid would not go down. Um, well, that's a drop in the bucket, really, a drop in the ocean uh, compared to all the other money we throw away. Um, well, first of all, on Biden, I want to say on him saying uh, we're going to launch a, a cyber attack on Russia. Well, gosh, you know, okay, look, we're going to come and hurt you now. Then, uh, you know, don't do anything to change your current situation because we're going to come hurt you. You know, that's that's broadcasting your moves now. Either Biden's an idiot or, well, that's probably true, but anyway, or he's uh, using that as some sort of a message to somebody else, you know, uh, about cyber warfare, you know, saber rattling or trying to look good for Hillary's party or something. I don't know, but um, it just, our best generals in our American history would just roll over in their grave in, in a panic when they heard something like that, where you broadcast your moves to the enemy in time to let them prepare or get away from the, the area you're targeting. Now, back to back to uh, space-based weather. Why would they be announcing this, EO? Yeah, um, and, and with this, they don't announce, or in the executive order, they don't talk about um, developing a plan in order to uh, back up or, or you know, hardwire the power system so it's not affected. It's mostly about uh, different agencies creating uh, systematic alerts, um, you know, uh, coordination of re- response and recovery after events. It has nothing to do with warning rather actual, than prevention. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like it's too late to, to prepare, but I, I believe that, you know, the well-educated, uh, super-rich have already done what they can to prepare, you know, with bunkers and things like that. Um, this is mainly uh, an announcement to... Uh, the, the middle class and those that aren't going to get into the bunkers to do what you can to uh, to uh, prepare for this kind of an event. We're recognizing that kind of event is uh, 
danger. That's why an executive order, rather than a you know a legislated order through you know the, the House or something like that or the Senate, uh, has been put in place. Uh, either that, or you can't depend on the the, the ruling power in the Senate in the House to. Um, appropriate the funds necessary to do the preparations. There's a number of possibilities on why they're doing that, but yes, I, I did look at that and I read through it, and um, I do know that the Sun is doing something, as, as I've discussed many times on the show, that is unusual, is leading toward a uh, solar event that uh, could be considered space weather, um, which you know, can be in the form of a CME and when you or, or, or an EMP, sorry, the type of event from a CME. Um, when you say a nuclear device is exploded over America and that could cause an EMP failure of non-hardened products, that let's call that value of that EMP the biggest one man could make with a bomb would be a, a value of one compared to what the sun can deliver, like in the Carrington event. It would it would deliver a hundred times that value of an EMP should it hit us with a CME direct with the strength of the one in the Carrington event in the late 1800s. So, putting it into perspective like that, uh, that could hit not only the United States but uh, the northern hemisphere. I mean, it could wrap around the planet, hit part of China, hit part of uh, uh, Western uh, Russia, Europe, and things like that. So, uh, this warning may be to tell people. Uh, that aren't in the direct inner circle of the, the rulers of the planet. Uh, look, for those of you that knew that something was coming, it's time to get your ducks in order and get out of town and get your your to your bunkers or whatever. And uh, you know, good luck. We'll see you after the event when we're reconstructing. But I think mm-hmm. that's rather naive to think that they're going to be able to reconstruct after such a massive EMP type event. It's uh, we're going to be in chaos for some time. And of course people of the earth at that point of all countries would be saying can someone you know bring order to the planet and get food and uh, an economy running again and uh, power you know protection peace and security and that's where we come into the antichrist type rule that people will want it look at look at item seven on my show images page there are three solar flares or cmes mixed in the last 48 hours okay just click on that, and it's a little uh, quick animation with the dates down below. In the last 48 hours, look at the sun boiling off stuff. Tell me we're not heading for something different. You can look at that, play it, and yeah. then look at the next uh, slide, number eight. The plot of solar wind speed increases over the last 12 months. And this is interesting because you'll see the, the, the speed of the solar wind is measured, you know, through it. So, um, is increasing. It's increased nearly 60% in the last 12 months as far as the maximum daily uh, solar wind speed hitting the Earth. And this, of course, varies with these spiraling arms of solar wind that we pass through, and then there'll be a, a lull, and then we'll pass through another one of stronger uh, impact. But you can see that the graph is sloping up to the right at about 60% increase uh, for the maximum daily speed. And, you know, um, They've got it in kilometers per second, but you know that's you can translate that to miles per hour if you want. But basically, you can see the increases. It's certainly on the rise, and dramatically so. Even the minimum daily speed, which is the blue line in this graph, um, is increasing. So the minimums and the maximums tell you that the average right in between that is increasing. Now, 
what is weird is that although the wind speed is increasing, solar wind speed, the the density, you know, the thickness of the solar wind uh, front that hits us is either, mm, well, it's kind of diminishing a bit. It's the best I can see from it. Uh, the maximum amount of that is slightly lower than it was um, on a logarithmic curve from uh, 2015, around November. Uh, I'm trying to put that uh, in powers of 10, but basically what it does say is that the speed is increasing, but the, the amount of material in the solar wind is decreasing, and I don't understand that. Um, it's as though like it, the energy is being high voltage rather than low voltage, high current at, uh, for those of you who speak uh, electricity. Um, and the sun is, of course, an electric uh, phenomenon as well. And uh, the charged particles coming off of it do exhibit a behavior of, like, you know, high voltage and low voltage, uh, relatively speaking, in space. Anyway, this this graph, you can look at it later and, and uh, go to the the site that it mentions there, solen.info, and see where they got the information from. And there's a lot of other reports there about the... Um, the change in the, the sun's uh, solar wind factor. The the density factor at the bottom, I do draw your attention to it, is a logarithmic thing, which is not quite as revealing as it would be if it were in straight numbers rather than the log numbers at base 10. Uh, that tends to flatten this curve. But anyway, uh, for those of you who play numbers, that's something to consider when you're looking at it. I've also uh, put in a... a, 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 a cell there, or image uh, number four for NORAD, and it's the War Games Fortress. It's a documentary made on the History Channel, I think it is, um, and uh, whatever channel it is, it's an info channel that's on, on the, the tube, on the satellite, but it's about an hour or so, maybe less, of Cheyenne Mountains complex, how it was built, when it was built, what it was used for, and I, I find it interesting to just look at what sort of defenses we have or do not have on that uh, particular uh, site. Um, the, the, it just shows you that we need to do a lot of infrastructure repair and upgrades, um, even for this place, uh, the Cheyenne Mountain Complex. Uh, you'll see things in there we've talked about before, the you know the 10-ton coil springs that are underneath the, the floor of the main room that could withstand near-nuclear uh, impacts and stuff like that. But, you know, EMPs, I think they're probably hardened against that, but when the outside world is, has got nothing, it's, your EMP hardening is only good in the first few minutes of a nuclear exchange. Anyway, that's that's something for you to have a look at uh, when you've got yeah, a cup of coffee 40, in a few minutes. Yeah, 43 minutes, it's from the documentary channel. Uh, boy, I, uh, right, I'm right. Gonna sleep, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm going to watch this. It, it, fascinating indeed. Um, Stan, if we, we can just revisit the topic of nuclear weapons. Uh, have okay. A, have an emailer from uh, Canada wanting to know uh, if you believe the recent uh, debate where Hillary Clinton met, uh, mentioned our response time, the four minutes uh I, I five believe, minutes, I think it was on it or something. Four or five. Right. Was that? Do Do you believe, Stan? Was that an intentional disclosure, or I mean, was that a big secret revealed or confirmed? Was it intentional, or was it? Uh, or, you know, what do you believe? Uh, 
with respect to how she or, you know, her mentioning. You know, um, I don't know with her. It's I mean, she's such a you know a poker faced uh, politician. I don't know whether it was intentional or otherwise. Uh, for that kind of information, I suspect that China and uh, Russia would already have access through their own sources to find out what our response time would be before you know the button could be pressed. Um, let's face it; uh, in those countries, the the power structure is so centralized into a very small number of people, or even one in, in Russia's case, that um, the launch code could probably be issued, you know, in the blink of an eye compared to what we could do it through our democratic process over here. We've built the safeguards in, whereas Russia may have some, and I know they have some because, you know, one of their um, officers did avert a nuclear war a few years back by realizing that it was faulty data he was reading on his uh, terminal, and he didn't push the button to cause the cascade effect of a nuclear war between Russia and the United States. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, the United States has, at this point in time, um, between us and Russia, we have about 10,000 nuclear warheads that are in military service. They aren't, uh, they're not dismantled, and uh, they are uh, mounted on delivery systems. Um, the the number that we have total between the United States and uh, and uh, Russia is about fourteen thousand four hundred nuclear warheads, and we're about equal there seventy one hundred United States, seventy three hundred Russia. Um, these are the two main players we've got to watch because if Russia does initiate the attack, we're going to take the short end of the stick. We're going to get hit hard before we can retaliate due to a number of things. Um, you know, checks and balances and controls we have in the system to pre- prevent uh, nuclear commanders from going rogue. And Russia, to a degree, has that as well. But, um, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take, um, when we have an EMP or any kind of a thing from the sun which hits our communications command and control centers, it's going to be the luck of the draw as to which ones are working, which ones are accurate. And the accuracy of these things, electronic, uh, is what worries me because, you know, uh, gamma ray bombardments, you know, from a number of sources external to the planet, even uh, a, a supernova delivering it, uh, you know, off in the distance and it hits at the right time could uh, perhaps cause, uh, cause uh, misreadings of, of uh, detection equipment on both sides. Anyway, um, we've got too many nuclear missiles out there and. Sadly, um, about half of the world's supply that are active at the moment are pointed at the United States. Um, I know Russia, sorry, Israel has its own share. It, uh, it's not a member of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, and it has 80 uh, nuclear warheads that are known about, and probably enough fissile material for another 200, um, perhaps even more. But this is what information has been made public through various sources. And they've got about... Mm, well, the 80 that we know about, as I say, the United Kingdom's got about 200. So the major players, I mean, even China only has 260. So when you look at the warheads, it's the United States and Russia. That's the important issue. And I think that's why in this campaign season, uh, the mention of the Russian involvement in picking a, a leader of the United States is so important. Because we, this is where the standoff is going to be. This is between us and Russia. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Um, we only have a, a few minutes left, Stan, before the end of the show. And um, 
I wanted to get you. You've been to Australia and and uh, you've talked about your time there. I there is an interesting story that um, Australia to search out and prosecute anti-vaccination nurses. Um, this is a story that I, I found came across the other day. Um, and midwives to, to prosecute, to search out and prosecute anti-vaccination nurses and midwives calls for public to turn them in. And uh, there was another story that, that dealt with uh, hate speech against illegal immigrants in Australia. Um, how far gone is this is this nation? Uh, and I mean, our, when we talk about progress and we see what what they're doing here with the uh, you know huge government. Increase of in in everything in our lives. Uh, how long until we see this here? And did you ever think you'd see something like this in Australia? Um, I figured it was coming when they first started taking the guns away from people and they let them uh, do it down there in Australia. You know, and uh, I they've been going more and more left of, of center. And uh, at the best of times, when I was down there, the the so-called right wing was still left of center by U.S. standards, but uh, left of that really was left, uh, bordering on communism. Certainly socialism is rampant in Australia and uh, getting worse, so much so that uh, they've sold their country to to China and Japan, and uh, they... You know, if Trump gets in, they put, published a big article in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, a couple of days ago. I think Holly's got it on a news page on standale.com. You can read it there. But published an article where this Australian journalist was pointing out Australia's uh, dependence on the American bases at Pine Gap and in the Northwest Cape uh, area and, uh, you know, a few other places where they've got bases there up near Darwin. Uh, for, you know, bringing income into the economy there. And and Trump has said if he gets in, he's going to have countries that, I mean, get a free ride and start paying their share. Well, Australia is probably not going to be able to afford it, and even if they could, they probably wouldn't do it. Uh, they've given us the lease of the land that we have, like Pine Gap in the center of Australia. That's uh, virtually free. It's called an, a, a, a peppercorn lease where for one peppercorn, uh, the United States gets uh, to use the land free there as a, a, a research and communication center for you know tactical and strategic reasons. Reasons, anyway. Australia is getting really bad. We've still got family and friends down there that we talk to regularly, and uh, we're just you know our, our jaw drops once a week when we get a phone call from somebody telling us what else they've done down there. Um, Persecuting people that are, you know, real, uh, normal type people wanting to have a normal life and uh, a fair government and a fair wage. Um, and, you know, as far as having people rat on nurses who won't, uh, you know, inoculate, you know, for, you know, immunization, this is the thin end of the wedge of what I've been expecting to happen uh, on a larger scale here. When, uh, the stuff hits the fan and there's any kind of government left here at all um, they're going to tell people look if you know one of those uh, weird people those uh, survivalist or one world conspiracy people who've got a lot of food and weapons stored in their house turn them in and we'll give you 10% of the loot as your reward and that's going to be the kind of thing they won't have to send troops around uh, they'll just have neighbors and friends rat on others to get their, their booty and then they got you know, Stan, I, I remember one of our first programs together, you talking about this very same issue. 
it just it, it, a number of years ago. Um, isn't that interesting where we find ourselves today? What you've yeah. done, my friend, you've brought us to a, the close of another program. Um, thank you so much for sharing your expertise, your information, your knowledge with us, with our audience. They love you, and um, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I hope we don't have to experience all this, but I'm afraid that we're not going to get that luxury. Have a good one. Yes, sir. God bless. And our best of holly as well. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, Stan Dale closing it out very strong. Wow, what a tremendous tremendous guy, knowledgeable man, indeed. StanDale.com. Folks, until tomorrow. Pastor Langford, tomorrow in the third hour. That's right. Have a good night.